more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. The snow has come and gone, but the whiteout is arriving this afternoon. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. With Dave Manuk, with Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here for the next couple of hours to get you ready for this afternoon's Game 3 between the Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll look back at the first two games. We'll preview today and, of course, Monday's contest. So much Jets talk to get your way. Let's get right into it. Gentlemen, good to see you both on this Saturday morning. I hope you're both doing well. I think we're doing well. I'll let Dave answer, but I, I'm I'm doing pretty well. I've got the kids to myself, as you guys know. Naomi's uh, out of town uh, in Arizona. I don't know why I need to keep that a secret. It's much hotter than it is here. Obviously, we're not really getting a spring this year. Uh, but yeah, it's been late nights. A lot of um, you know, Ruben sleeping in our bed, kicking me uh, all night long. So I think I've got uh, more back problems. Uh, than I had a couple of days ago, but I mean, it's going to be an amazing day, right? Not only do we have Jets Golden Knights this afternoon, you got the Winnipeg Ice and the Moose Jaw Warriors game five of their second round WHL playoff series, right? Um, so, I mean, there's going to be lots of good hockey. The Moose playoffs are coming up. So, I mean, Drew mentioned this last week. There's no better time of year, right? Like it's it's the fall in, in October and then it's April. The first round of the playoffs are amazing. And, you know, Dave was joking that none of us were going to be able to run the ICOT pool sponsored by rumors, but Dave was up. Um, I went to bed too early to stay up for that, that overtime, but it's so funny guys. I know we're going to spend a lot of the time talking about the Jets and Golden Knights, but it seemed like everybody was picking the Oilers to win in five or six. And I, th I think the Kings were saying, okay, you want to doubt <laughs> us? And look, they're up two one. So I think, you know, we've watched the Kings play the Jets this year. They're a pretty good team, but that series uh, the winner of that series is obviously going to play the winner of the Jets Golden Knights series. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, if that's the representative uh, from the West, because as we know, uh, the Central Division uh, wasn't that strong this year, uh, even though Colorado, I think, is still the favorite. But uh, yeah, super excited. It's going to be really exciting to you know see everybody going downtown, all the white and everything like that. Dave M will be in the building. We'll be broadcasting. Uh, I'll be broadcasting from uh, my maison in River Heights. But well, that's uh, what I have to ask you, Ezzy. You mentioned that your wife's away and that you're that you know you're you're solo parenting. You're at Dave's house right now. Where are your children? I think that was the natural follow up question. Dave is nodding like, yes. I think that was sort of. I mean, I know the answer. I know the answer, but I would know. I would also yeah, think they're obviously that would... running around in the backyard. I mean, I, I gave. I left them some. Granola I think he's like a bag of Skittles and just says, "Go yeah, do no, your thing." No, guys. not Skittles. I mean, that's. Dave, that's not healthy. I, I left them a massive bag of popcorn, ah, but I got a Dollarama for $3.75. Um, so they're just running around. I mean, I tied them up, Drew, like a good parent would do. They're tied, they're tied to trees. Um, they each have a bowl of popcorn and some juice, and, and they'll be fine. No, we've got a babysitter. Shout out to Jenna. Uh, she's babysitting right now. Um, lucky, because if, if that wasn't the case, then I would basically be doing the show while simultaneously like feeding my children and, and wiping their bums and stuff like that. So um, that might've been too much information, but yes, uh, we do a have little, a babysitter. It was a lot of information. I got to say, good morning to you, Dave. And we've heard enough of out of Ginsburg already. And we're only about three minutes into the show. So I was going to yeah. say good morning to you instead. 
All right. Well, good morning to you. Good morning, Azzy. It's a it's a busy day, as as already touched on. There's Jets, Moose, and Ice to have covered, and of course, the NHL in, in the first round of the NHL playoffs are are always exciting. You never know what you're going to get. I was watching that Islanders game last night, and I was and Hurricanes, and I was like, okay, one all, pretty good game, pretty tight. And all of yeah. a sudden, uh, Palmieri gets that uh, that uh, power play goal, and then they score the four quickest goals in, in playoff history. So, uh, quite a little run for opened. the yeah. The floodgates open. Antti Ranta was a little bit uh, a little bit loose. Uh, Rod the Bod wasn't excited, ex- too excited. But I got to give a shout out to those Islanders fans. Kind of remind me of Jets fans. Love with the that, Islanders fans with that passion. We, we experienced. We sorry, Dave. We experienced that for Drew's bachelor party back in 2011. We went and obviously to the MSG and Prudential. And then we we went to old Nassau Coliseum, and those Islanders fans, man, they are they're a unique group of fans. They're diehard. They are diehard. That's very yeah. true. It yeah. is. Uh, it was a great atmosphere there in the old barn. Never mind the new barn there. But uh, yes, you know there there's a new barn in Winnipeg. I guess relatively new compared to the old uh, uh, the old Winnipeg Arena. But uh, we have to talk about that because that's where the attention is going to be focused this afternoon inside the building and all the assorted street parties going on around the building as well. The Jets and the Golden Knights they come home even. You know, after the two games, if you're the Winnipeg Jets, you know, and you're talking, and you know, internally, what do you think the mood is among the players, among the team? You're obviously happy with a split. Yeah. At the same time, are you thinking, hey, we maybe left a little meat on the bone with how uh, game two ended? You know, you started so well in game two. So from the Jets' perspective, are you thinking they're satisfied or you're thinking that they're still like, Yes, we're, we're we're happy where we are, but at the same time, opportunity was missed in game two. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can't not say that given the fact that they had a fantastic first period where had they scored just one or two more goals, Captain Obvious, then the, <laughs> the entire tenor of that game looks vastly different, and I suspect the Jets cruise a little bit easier to the to that to the conclusion. Instead, you know, Lauren Brassois was solid. The Jets can't solve him more than once, and it gives Vegas the the uh breathing room I guess or the space to get back into that hockey game with simply one goal so that was the unfortunate part for the Jets I, you know what I, honestly I, I really do wonder and I, I mean I'm not make, trying to make excuses for the team but they look gassed to me they really did it was almost mm-hmm. as if they played such a perfect hard game in game one knowing how critically important it was to kind of set the narrative and the problem is of course that Vegas is the first place team in the Western Conference. And I know that their underlying numbers haven't been great, but the fact of the matter is they're still a 111-point team and they still have some phenomenal weapons on that club. And the fact is that you knew that Vegas was going to come out and not they couldn't afford to be down 0-2 coming back to Winnipeg knowing that the likelihood of them sweeping Winnipeg isn't high. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you you knew that they were going to have that push. It seemed inevitable. And to me, I do wonder if Winnipeg just played such a good first game and put so much effort into that first game. They just didn't have it left in the tank. And I'm not trying to make, again, I'm not trying to make excuses. Right. Just to me, you watched Mark Shifley, you watched Pierre-Luc Dubois, you saw the effort level in game one. And it's not like these guys are going to be like, I don't give a shit anymore. I don't have to try. Or we've already won game one, so we don't have to worry about game two. We got this in the bag. So there's got to be some other explanation because like to me, Pierre-Luc Dubois was actually the more egregious of the two because he was so effective in game one. And he was such a bull in the China shop in game one. And then he wasn't that in game two. Whereas Mark Shifley, there wasn't a significant drop off from what he had been in game one to what he was in game two. 
I think that's the biggest uh, question going into this game. In addition to, I'm sure we're going to touch on Nick Ehler's health, which we're, we're not going to, Dave mentioned this in today's morning papers on illegalcurve.com. That's my first shout out for our website. Um, but, you know, we're not going to know until probably 2.30, right? Like, we're not going to know. 12.30. But, uh, he's speaking at 12.30. He's, that's what no, I meant to say. Yeah, he's speaking at 12.30, but as he, there's a good chance he and, just and he might say game time decision. Right? Oh, yeah, we'll so see. Exactly. So, even, you're right. 2.30 warm be two up. and a half hours later. No, you're right. 2.30 warm up is when you'll 100% right. know yes. if Rick Bonus doesn't give the yeah. heads up. And and you're right, Dave. We He could let us know. Um, I mean, you would think that they would know two and a half hours before the game, guys. Like, I don't think I don't think, <laughs> I think anything's... they know, Ezzy, they know already if he's going to be playing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would 100% agree with that. It's just it, exactly like Dave said. It depends if Coach Bonus wants to tell us, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that is the biggest question mark. Can the Jets, is that sustainable the way they played, guys? Because Lauren Brassois was better in game two. There's no doubt about it, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the just look at the shots, right? Like the Golden Knights had more shots in the second period than they did in the entire game in game one, right? Like that's all we were, I mean, that's not all we were talking about, but that was a big focus. I mean, the Jets exploded for five goals, but they also, they, they put on a master class on how to play defensive hockey, right? And then you look at game two and, you know, we've all, we talked about, you know, Vegas's fifth goal, the, the Mark Stone goal, where, um, it was uh, William Carlson dug up. Was it William Carlson dug up the puck? No, it wasn't. Um, I forget who it was that got dug up the puck for uh, Mark Stone on his second goal, the fifth goal. I think it was William Carlson. It I'd was Carlson. Carlson. It was Carlson. Okay. To Stone coming coming yeah. down the off yeah. the bench and coming down with the the head of speed. Yeah, that's because I only got uh, four hours of sleep on Thursday night, Drew. So I appreciate <laughs> you uh, helping me out. It's uh, the the cobwebs are definitely in my mind right now and probably always. But that that is the question, right? And and then again, you know, like off the face off. Right, Chandler Steve. I'm talking about the Chandler Stevenson goal, right? Yeah. Where Shifley's just a little bit soft, uh, covering him in front of Connor Hellebuck, right? Mm-hmm. So, like the Jets, the, the defensive effort, Dave, was was not similar to what we saw in in Game One. Game One, like you said, that was how you want to play, and that's how you're going to have to beat Vegas. Like Vegas is like the Jets can play one or two good periods and beat the San Jose Sharks, right? Like they did, uh, you know, at, towards the end of the season. I think that was the third last game of the year, or when they played. The Nashville Predators, right? Like you can have one good period or one and a half good periods, put in two or three goals, and you're going to win the game. You're not going to be able to do that with the Golden Knights, especially now that we know that Mark Stone is basically, you know, back to close to 100% health. Like he had two goals and three points in game two, yeah. and he wasn't a factor in game one. So obviously, you know, you're going to have to shut down um, the Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone, uh, Brett Howden line. He'll be, I'm sure he's going to have some family in the building, but. The big thing, guys, in game three is going to be the energy and how the Jets feed off of that and how they control their emotions. Like, the Jets have struggled a little bit at home in the playoffs. Not so much in the regular season, but, I mean, this is a crucial game. Everybody knows that. The Jets can still lose this game and and win the series. Um, But, obviously, the Jets want to win both of these games and put uh, Vegas on their heels going back to Nevada, right? But that's absolutely, Dave, you know, I, I agree with you. They didn't look as fast. Um, and they were just giving up way too many high quality chances, especially in that second period when when Vegas had twenty shots on that. Let me ask you this, Dave. Em, as we're sitting here, you know, uh, game three, game three later this afternoon, post game show, of course, right after the game here on our Illegal Curve YouTube channel, as per usual. You know, from your perspective, you know, 
who do the Jets need to step up in today's game? I think the obvious answer, based on the performance in game two, is probably Mark Shifley. But, you know, is there somebody else that you're sort of keeping an eye on that you're saying, you know, they need to be the catalyst for this Jets team? Their performance will dictate whether or not, you know, this Jets team will, will end up as a victory or end up as a defeat, uh, you know, this afternoon uh, against the Golden Knights. Yeah, Drew, you might have heard his name, Mark Shifley. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's true. Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois are the one-two punch that the Jets need to have firing because you've loaded up your top line with Kyle Connor, of course, as well. And defensively, we know that's not going to be a significant defensive line, really. And so they have to produce. And they and look, I, I said this before the playoffs began, that the only way, you're, you're always going to need Connor Hellebuck to be Connor Hellebuck. But he, generally speaking, is Connor Hellebuck, so you don't have to worry about him. But Mark Shifley is the biggest question mark for me going into this series. Because if you get 2018 Mark Shifley, where he scores 10,000 goals against the National Predators, <laughs> I mean, that's what Mark Shifley is. Like, look, Mark Shifley's not there to be Patrice Bergeron defensive, you know, Andre Kopitar to be really good defensive center and to keep goals out of the back of the net. He's there to score goals. And if Mark Shifley's not on the score sheet, then what exactly is Mark Shifley doing as your top line center, so or sorry, top line right winger, but like so ultimately at the still at really the end, really I'm sorry, Dave. It's still really weird to call him that. I mean, I still no, think he'll eventually go back to center like next season. I don't think he's going to be. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong, but you usually don't play ten years in the NHL and then just all of a sudden become a winger. No, and so look, I'm not going to put this on Vladimir or I think Adam Lowry is has been significant in the playoffs, obviously, as 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 Nito Niederreiter and and Mason Appleton, and yeah. you know Kevin's the the fourth line's been good. I just think that you know at the end of the day, that first line is the one that's going to determine whether this Jets team can ultimately get past Las Vegas or not. And if they can't, or if they don't, yeah, I think that the question marks are going to be on 55 and on 80 because again, you can't want to be the big dog. You can't want to be the guy who makes $10 million a season, Pierre-Luc Dubois or Mark Shifley, feeling like you're underpaid. Well, if you can't produce when it matters, I don't care that you got 42 goals in the regular season. That doesn't mean anything. You know, at the end of the day, how many hockey players have we talked to? Have we heard say, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. It's all about championships. Well, at the end of the day, if you can't perform in the playoffs, then it doesn't matter if you're a great regular season player. That's fantastic. History is littered with guys who were great in the regular season. And then when they needed to take their game up a notch, they weren't able to do so. So for me, it's going to be Mark Shifley as your number one, Pierre-Luc Dubois as your number two. And really it begins and ends with those two. And and Dave, you can back that up with all the championships rings you have from the House of Ashkenazi. So Dave, Dave is littered with <laughs> he gold. He was a playoff from, performer, let me tell you. Yes, Dave always elevated his game in the playoffs. So Dave's just Dave walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk. But I mean, and, and you're right, Dave, because Kyle Connor should have had a couple goals probably in that game, right? And Shifley did make that nice pass in the neutral zone off that turnover, right? That little backhand, that sneaky pass that led to the breakaway, I guess yeah. if you want to call it that, the one-on-one. Uh, when Connor went in, and, and he was obviously stopped by Lauren Brassois. But Shifley doesn't have any points in the first two games. So you're absolutely right, Dave. Kyle Connor has been driving the offense. He was, I thought, the but easily the Jets' best forward in, in that game. Like, Adam Lowry was great. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, Kevin Stenland, the fourth line, they contributed. But I thought Kyle Connor, especially in the, in the first couple periods, right, eight shots, like, it, it was ridiculous what he was doing. So they they need – Connor is – is it's a it's a given – that you know you're going to rely on Kyle Connor, but he's played. He's been the best of those three, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Dubois and Shifley were better in the first first game. Obviously, Dubois 
uh, left his mark on that game. But yeah, I mean, and, and it's going to be interesting, guys. I was just kind of thinking, like, if you're Coach Bones now uh, and the Jets coaching staff, not just Rick Bonus, but who do you want now that you have last change? Who do you want? And it's kind of hard to know, like, is it, you know, is is he going to look to line match? Because you definitely, I, as far as I'm concerned, you don't want the dubois shifley Connor line going up against the Mark Stone line. That line is playing really well right now. Stone's a great defensive forward. Um, I almost think you want to match up top line versus top line. Obviously, the top line for Vegas being Jack Eichel, Jonathan Marcheseau, and they've got Ivan Barbashev there now. Because the second line, that's also a good, pretty good defensive line with Carlson mm-hmm. Smith uh, and, and Phil Kessel. So, I mean, yeah, Kessel's a little bit slower. So maybe, you know, if you're bonus in the coaching staff, do you want the, the Shifley-Dubois-Cotter line up against that line? I'm not sure, but I, I definitely don't think you want him... Uh, pardon me, um, necessarily Dubois going up against uh, Chandler Stevenson's line. That's just my opinion. You, you talk about the line matchups, and yes, the Jets do get that you know advantage now. Is everything all good, Drew? I can't hear Drew. Yeah, we can hear him now. Can we're you hear good. me now? Yeah, I had a, a video popped up on a website that I was unexpecting to hear from at that moment. Drew, you should My probably apologies. you know leave those websites to your private time. <laughs> Thank you. Ezzie, what what color was that website, Drew? No, it was Daily Faceoff, and it just all of a sudden had a gambling pop-up ad in my ears that distracted me there for a Drew, second. Drew, you can read Fox News another time, okay? Yes, you're right. Okay, but you know you make a point now that the Jets have that last change, and you know I think you're right, Ezzy. You know if you if you want to go top line on top line, the problem with Vegas, I would say, is that there's not necessarily a clear you know it's like three second lines right we yeah, talked about basically. it like Chandler Stevenson Mark Stone and Brett Howden uh, from Oak Bank we always got to give a shout out to Oak Bank yeah. I mean if that's your third line I mean that's the, easily the best third line in the playoffs and that's what we talked about the, the Golden Knights are deep and that's why I think you know the Jets want Nikolai Ehlers back as soon as possible because that gives them a boost on that second line because Wheeler, Nemesnikov, Niederreiter were not good in the second game. They were they were good in the first game, but in the yeah. second game, they, I didn't really think they had any impact. But you, what I was saying, so you go if you go with the Jets' top line against the Golden Knights' top line, the you know Barbashev, Eichel, Marsh, so against uh, against Connors, Shifley, and Ehlers. Well, you tell Dubois you go neutralize Jack Eichel. You know that'll be you know that's your responsibility. Obviously, there that's mm-hmm. who we want. Uh, that's who we want you to take take advantage of. And then you tell Shifley and Connor, look, you can do your thing. You can try and uh, and, and perform offensively against Barbashev and Marsh. So and maybe you know your defensive responsibilities are a little bit easier there. Maybe Maybe Shifley is able to get going because, you know, Marsha So and Barbashev, both very good players, both you know, very intelligent players, but they're not Mark Stone. I mean, I don't think that they would, they're not going to say that they're as good as Mark Stone defensively if you were to ask them. So maybe that frees up uh, Shifley to get a little bit more time, a little more space to be able to get some of that creativity going, get some of that, you know, uh, offensive touch that he's known for, that he got 42 goals this year, but that he's been kept off the score sheet so far. I mean, it's not like he played poorly in game one. Game two wasn't a good one for him, but, you know, it's not like he's disappeared or anything. The Jets need to just get more from him, and I think Mm -hmm. they should be able to do that now that he's, uh, now that they get last change, and now that they can sort of free up to get him on the ice against who they want him to get against to, Dave. Well, yeah, and and the idea is that it, hockey can be a chess match, right? Yeah. And so the whole point is, unless you're playing 3D checkers or whatever it is, but the fact of the matter is that you really need to be, you know, that's kind of what Rick Bonus we said did in game one is that he got matchups that he wanted and then he kind of outcoached Bruce Cassidy to a certain mm-hmm. degree because really he was able to kind of get the guys in that he wanted. And it just, again, that flow wasn't there in game two. 
But as he's right, I mean, you have last change. You have the deciding factor as to who you want to see go up against whom. And so for the Jets' perspective, you're right. You can't have the Shifley line where they need to be, you know, where you need a defensively responsible pairing, you know, or duo, because really that's what Adam Lowry's responsibility is. So I, I do think you're going to see that a lot more in today's game. And the ultimate X factor is Nikolai Ehlers. And, and I, you know, I mean, look, it's, it's crazy to think how, you know, he was good to go and then he went day to day or the coach was day to day and he was good to go. And ultimately day to day won out over good to go, but day to day. Now, remember he last played in that game against Minnesota, which was that Tuesday was that two weeks ago or one week ago, like almost three, it'll be three weeks, last three days or something like that. So, so I mean, guys, a fairly, Oh, he's okay. We're just going to give him some rest, you know, is looking a little bit more significant than how it appeared before. And, and that I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but when you saw Nikolai Ehlers after the game, you, you thought he didn't look like he was in great shape, but he was practicing. And as Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg free press asked yesterday during the media availability, why was he wearing a regular jersey if he's still not 100% capable of doing that? Mm-hmm. I thought the interesting thing from Rick Bonus was he essentially said the team knows that he's not great. The answer so didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't so, make a lot of sense to me. To I, I think what like, the answer was, I think really, really, Dave, what it was, and, and, and this is not a conspiracy theorist, I think what they did was they had him in a regular jersey so that they, th- there was, they thought that he was going to come back. That's what I, I don't know if you guys... No, I agree with that you. That went through your minds, but like... Yeah, it didn't make sense. Like, we know that he's injured, so yeah. nobody's going to hit him. Like, okay, yeah, but... But it's a lot. I mean, then, first of all, the whole if, the whole idea... And you would have Cole Perfetti in a contact jersey as well, well right? So, so two things. So, number one, the whole reason why a guy wears red, or in the case of the Moose, yellow, yeah. is that there... Even if you know a guy is wearing... Like, okay, I'm conscious of the fact that Nikolai Ehlers is dealing with something. I don't want to inadvertently bang him. But the reality is when you're in hockey, fast game, you turn around, you see a guy, you don't necessarily think, oh, that's Nikolai Ehlers. You think, oh, there's a player... And he's wearing a regular jersey, and you know, therefore, there's a possibility. Like it just it didn't make a lot of sense. And then the, the other thing, as he quickly was with respect to Nikolai Ehlers, because I thought his comment with with in that regard was was somewhat interesting because he basically made it sound. I'm not gonna say what ex- I'm gonna direct quote Rick Bonus, not 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 uh, paraphrased, but he said Cole's in a red, but he's not even close to being ready to play. So I think that's more an indication of that. So that was his explanation as to why. So I just thought it was interesting because, again, it, it could just be pay- playoff machinations. He knows that Nikolai Ehlers isn't ready to go. They're just trying to, you know, play the game. That's what and I ha- think. That's and, exactly and, and what I think it is. That, yeah. that very easily could be it. And just try and have – I mean, because you got to remember, Vegas has – I mean, the whole point of these coaching staffs is you have to game plan for your opponent. So if they have the game plan for Nikolai Ehlers in the lineup and potentially different lines – it does cause a little bit of chaos for Vegas in terms of their pre-scout. And you do because it makes them a lot quicker. And that, that's the other thing I was going to say, guys. Like, you know, Kenny Weeb, our good buddy, mentioned this in his article for sportsnet.ca, which is available as a link on illegalcurve.com. Second plug. Um, uh, he mentioned that, you know, the Jets were slow. And you could say that the Vegas was slow in the first game. But really, like, what was the big thing? that the Jets had going for them in game one, in, in addition just overall how good they played defensively, is that they were pressuring the Golden Knights all over the ice, right? Aggressive forecheck. Mm-hmm. And, you, and Josh Morrissey mentioned this, Dave, another quote that's available on IllegalCurve.com. <laughs> he talked about, you know, we're a good gap team. Is there right? a bet and, and, or something I'm unaware of that no, as no. he has an over-under he has to yeah. hit? Did no. somebody not tell me something? I don't know, but I, I should be paying him for that sort of, uh, those kind of plugs. It's okay, Dave. I do this pro bono. Uh, but I, I, and that's as close to, to a lawyer as you've ever been. Yeah. Well, no, I got 147 on the LSAT. I think that Hashtag was pretty no big close. Deal. 
Dan Manuk, uh, Dan Manuk got a 165. So as soon as those marks came out, I was like, okay, I think Dan's going to become a lawyer and uh, I'm going to go into communications. But um, yeah, I think that's one of the big things that you have to look for in tonight's game. I mean, Mark Scheifele, Pierre-Luc Dubois, they have to step up in a big way. And, and we know Kyle Connor has been the Jets' best forward through two games. At least I think he's been their best forward through two games. But that's another thing too. Like you, you have to be sharper. Like you can't let the Golden Knights generate that much speed through the neutral zone, right? We always hear about this in hockey. It's a cliche. Whoever wins the battle in the neutral zone, but the Jets have got to use their speed more. And you're right, Dave. If you have Nick Ehlers in the lineup, that makes your team a thousand percent faster. Yeah, it, it, it does. I mean, his speed would certainly be, I mean, it would be a, a huge asset to the Jets, but just in general, the Jets, I mean, that, that's what you sort of saw when you watched, you know, the first period of game one is that the Jets really, to your point, Dave, they ran out of gas. I, I thought, and then game, and then in the second and the third periods uh, of game two, Vegas was able to take advantage of that. I yeah. know is that a function of having to play at such a high level for the last number of weeks? Because the Jets did have to play at that high level to get into the playoffs. Remember, they had mm. to you know win four out of five on home ice. They had to go into St. Paul. So you're when you're playing at this high level, you know. Game after game after game after game after game after game after game, and then you win game one. It's almost only I think you natural. missed the game in there, by the way, Drew. Sorry, you know what I meant. But <laughs> then, you know, and then you win game one. It's almost only natural that throughout game two, you're going to eventually start to dip down because you can't always be going at you know a full capacity. Eventually, that full capacity, whatever full capacity is, gets reduced. You know, that's just the human nature side of this game. And so that'll be interesting to see with the day off yesterday, with the travel day, no skate this morning. Are the Jets able to get that what full capacity is for them higher? Does it get back up to where it was in game one? Or are they, you know, running out of gas because they had to go so hard for so long at the end of the regular season, which is, of course, speaks to the factor that they played so poorly in February and March to get to that point where they needed to sort of be a little bit desperate at the end of the year. We'll know more this afternoon, and then we'll talk about it all on the post-game show following the Vegas Golden Knights and Winnipeg Jets Game 3 later on today. If you haven't already done so, smash the like button on the YouTube channel. Smash the subscribe button if you haven't do, done so. We do this every Saturday morning. We need that even more now, Drew, without our blue check mark. I mean, people are people are talking. Are these IC guys imposters now? As he's getting people to unfollow us because we're not legit anymore. Speaking of conspiracy theories, I love all the conspiracy theories about why like more celebrities haven't been paying for their blue check mark. It's because it's stupid. Like that's why. That's some good insight right there. There's Mr. Ginsburg. Well, is it not? Like, I don't know. I, I feel like nobody, I feel like for journalists, it's uh, Melissa Martin of the Free Press was talking about that today. I think that's if, if anything, it's it's more important for journalists and other people who need to be verified. But like, why does why does Little Wayne the, or somebody else care if they have a? But the rea- not only that, but Eddie, like, the real the reality is like it's not like suddenly someone was following the legal curve and was like we the, the blue check mark changed and said like it actually had no difference on Twitter. Like everyone's acting. We're like, the same he, reliable insanity. Insanity yeah. <laughs> that you've, you've that's you've actually come our slogan: Re- reliable yeah. insanity. You know, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. This is where you come if you want to see three insane guys every Saturday morning. But we're here for reliable you. insane guys. You know exactly. We're, we're consistent. That's right. Consistent as well. That's what we bring you here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show and the Illegal Curve Post Game Show. And of course, as well, 
Here's my plug, illegalcurve.com. When we come back, Hammer Time, Jeff Hamilton of the Winnipeg Free Press joins us on the show. Saturday morning, we're getting you set for the Jets and the Golden Knights. We're live on YouTube. We're live on all of our social media platforms. Our number one of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and the Hammer himself, Jeff Hamilton, joins the program on this Saturday morning ahead of the Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights. Jeffrey, good morning. How are you good sir good morning gentlemen i love how it just kind of like i'm used to the kenny and rennie like a little bit of seconds to look in the mirror have that video <laughs> thing it's just like pow like i log on it's just like right in the corner i'm doing great guys happy playoff happy playoff saturday what a day what a great uh hopefully a great day for jets fans coming up but certainly uh i'm getting excited i wasn't in vegas mike was in vegas for the first two games it's gonna be uh it's nice to see this playoff series head back to winnipeg and Looking forward to uh, what should be a solid game three here. Let's go. It should be a solid game three. The atmosphere is going to be, of course, through the roof as it always is when the whiteout is going on and the street parties and everything else. Nice to see. Uh, it'll be great to see, you know, 20,000 plus people. Hammer's actually going to have armed escorts as he walks into the arena through the, the whiteout. It's just like, no, no, no. God, Look out. Don't yeah. touch this guy. No He's autographs. No pictures. Okay. Yeah, Nothing for a small fee to your favorite charity. There you go. <laughs> nice to be giving it to charity. That's very generous of you. I thought. And explain your Cameo account. I'm not sure what's going on with that then, uh, Jeff. You know, you're charging, charging $500. <laughs> yeah. hey, Drew, for, let's, uh, not, let's not start rumors. Let's not start rumors <laughs> that I got any sort of Cameo. I, uh, the if best was Drew. If anyone's asking just, me to wish anybody any memorable moment in their life, I, I would just send back a quick email saying, you know what, this is your intervention. You need to you need to figure things out immediately. But, well, you know, Jeff, just so you know, I actually believe Drew. I was like, oh, Jeff has a Cameo account? That's pretty impressive. <laughs> Exactly. Like, wait, with his delivery, I almost believed him for a second, and I said, "Wait a minute, that's me." I was like searching you up. I'm like, "Okay, for Ezzy's birthday in July, I'm gonna have to get him a cameo from Jeff. It'll be fantastic." Well, Jeff, and a lot of people don't know this, but Drew has an OnlyFan account. It's actually just his wife, Laura. He only has one fan. <laughs> I can assure hey, you, Laura wants nothing to do with that. I promise. Even on our anniversary, Laura wants nothing to do with me having an OnlyFans account. Dormant account right now. That's right. No, Drew, only fan, not fans. Only right, fans. Singular fan. Singular. Come on. Exactly right. Uh, there's going to be plenty of fans downtown, uh, nonetheless, Jeff. So, obviously, game three, the Jets, uh, we were, I was talking to Ezzy and Dave about it earlier on. You know, they're happy, obviously, to get a split. You know, one, you know, coming home with a split is, is something that every team wants to do when they start on the road. But at the same time, you know, based on all the, the, the comments post-game, based on all the, the chatter, you can't help but think the Jets feel they left a little bit on the bone uh, in Vegas with, with their performance towards the tail end of game two. So my question to you is, you know, which Jets team are you expecting to see this afternoon? The team that was dominant in game one or the team that seemed to fade and run out of gas in the latter stages of game two on Thursday night? Great question. I mean, that's the, you know, I don't know which one we're going to see today. I, I, I think, you know, you mentioned, yeah, there's a lot of the narrative coming back into Winnipeg that they're happy that they're split in a series. In a lot of ways, that's the truth. And, you know, I think, you know, it's easy to, or I've heard it tossed out a few different times. Kenny loves this one is that, you know, if you would have asked heading into this, you know, the series, if you're coming back to Winnipeg tied 1-1, well, yeah, absolutely. You'd take it for sure. I mean, that's the definition of stealing home ice advantage. That's what the Jets have done. That's what they get by winning game one. But just the problem in the is, sorry, Jeff, the problem is I'm now hearing Kenny say it and you're I, yeah, saying it, but I'm hearing exactly, Kenny's voice. Exactly, it's really exactly. bizarre. Well, I was going to turn it around. So I, and, and not like, it's not that that's not true, but it's just given the way, you know, we saw the Jets play in game one, how dominating they were. I mean, I, you know, I've, 
I don't know how Jets fans are going to love this, but I felt like the Jets did their best, you know, Vegas Golden Knights impersonation in game one. And I thought Vegas did their best Winnipeg Jets impersonation in game one. It just, they seem to flip the script on, on their style of play and, and the way they execute and, and, and more importantly, generate offense. And then, so I think you have to be a bit disappointed, but no one should be thinking that the Vegas Golden Knights who finished first in the West, who battled through, you know, injuries, both in, you know, in, in, in their crease and, and outwards, missing guys for long stretches, still managed to, you know, find their way to the top of the West, was just going to lie down and let the Jets roll over them. I mean, I think a lot of people thought that in the first period. Um, so I guess I, of uh, that second game, I think, I guess the question is, can the Jets replicate the first four periods versus the last two? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, and I, and I think that, I think there is going to be a lot of energy in this game. I think you're going to see a massive push. I think that's, well, while obviously a disappointing end to game two, I think there's something to be said about the Jets' first period because you know those uh, of game two because the narrative is always you know this team can't handle success. This team you know reads their own clippings. This team gets it you know buys their buys into their own hype far too much, and that often results in a slow start. I thought the Jets you know were able to whatever you know whatever they were able to generate in game one, they were able to bottle that and start that in game two. That needs to start in game three, and I think what's what's critical for this team. And they got this in game two, obviously was that early lead. They don't want to play from behind, but just the boost from the fans. I think that that's going to be, you know, I think that's going to be something the Jets have been looking, certainly have been looking forward to for a long time. Certainly fans have been looking forward to a long time. And I think that's going to be the edge in this one. And why I think heading into this one, it's no longer about, about, you know, what you did in game one, it's your response from game two. And, and um, I think that's going to tell a lot about the Jets and this game could very well help dictate the series. You know, we, we, we talk often, it's, it's just one game. And that was certainly the case after game one. That's certainly the case after game two, where it's just one loss. Um, but you start getting behind after the, after the original games. And that's when you look at the percentages. That's when you look at momentum. That's when you look at teams looking to step on other clubs' throats. This could very well be a seven-game series. This could be a five-game series for either team. It's just that's how it's played out the first two games, and we'll see what happens in game three. So, Hammer, we're, we're not going to find out if Nick Ehlers is playing until 1230 at the earliest. That's when Rick Bonus is going to speak to the media, and he might not tell us at, at that point just to keep the uh, uncertainty going there. But the question I wanted to ask you is, you know, does Nick Ehlers, is the I guess the logical place for him to go back is on the wing, and then it's the Ehlers-Nemesnikov-Wheeler line again. So I guess, you know, two-part question. I mean, do you think we're going to see Ehlers back in the lineup tonight? I mean, it's a, I think a coin flip at this point. I mean, we don't really actually know what the injury is. I think, you know, there was some speculation because of the nature of the hit from Ryan Hartman. It was a concussion, but I don't think he would have been back on the ice that quickly if it was concussion. And then obviously I'm playing, you know, doctor speculation here, Hammer, but I guess where do you see him just going back into that, you know, wing spot on the second line? And I guess what are, you, what are the likelihood that we're going to see Ehlers in today's game and what type of impact can he have considering that he's been off for roughly a week? Well, yeah, I, I think, I think he does play today. I mean, just, you know, two games is probably enough. I, I have a hard time thinking it's a concussion to, to your point as, I mean, they talked about how he cleared concussion protocol. Like I don't think they're sitting around now waiting. I mean, we know with head injuries, things can prop up, things can happen. Um, but I don't think that's what the jets are waiting for here. I don't think they're waiting for, you know, a headache to come on or, a, you know, like, because Nikolai Ehlers has been from the beginning, from from that trip, you know, post mini, like he was out with his, he was out with the guys going to the the Rockies game uh, on the, on their day off in Denver. He was, you know, he was talking to media. Like the Jets don't really let people talk to media when they're injured, and so that's an indicator right there. Particularly if you have a suspected concussion. So 
whatever is nagging him upper body and you know I'll get into the speculatory stuff like whether it's a sternum whether it's a collarbone shoulder whatever it might be I think it's on that it's on that um, I think it's a situation where if it's game seven, that first game that then he's playing, I, you know, I think it's just, I think you're looking into the future and what will be a long your, what you think will be a long series with Vegas. Certainly after winning game one, I think it gave a little more rope to, to Nikolai Ehlers injury. Like you don't need to rush him back. There's all this obviously success here, but I, you have to think at this point, you know, just given with what we've heard, he's going to be in. But at the same time, I was fairly confident, not just fairly, I was really confident that he would be back for game one. And that was just, you know, from talking to him um, behind the scenes from, you know, what Rick Bonus said, like, yeah, he wasn't committing, but that felt like playoff hockey and whatnot. So assuming he is back in tonight or today, um, I think you have to go back to that, that you know, the lineup you had against Minnie when he got injured. I, I, and that's just, that's not to say anybody does, you know, certainly you can look at Morgan Barron. Does he deserve to go back to the fourth line? Probably not. Does Nino Niederreier deserve to go back to the third line? Probably not. But I think that's where you have the best chemistry. I mean, you where are you going? Where else are you going to put Nikolai Ehlers? I mean, he he needs to be in a position. You're not going to put him on that third line, especially because you know we keep calling them a third line. Adam Lowry led the team in led the team in game one in ice time for forwards. So it's like you know, like uh, you know, it's not like you can just throw him on that line and shelter him. I think he needs to be on a line. And when you look at the chemistry that he was building with uh, Nemestikov and Blake Wheeler, it seems like the obvious fit. And Nino Niederreiter and Adam Lowry was a great combination. And with Nino Niederreiter off his line, Adam Lowry is still playing at a very top level. So I think you get a, you know, you get an added punch to that line with a Nino Niederreiter. And we saw the fourth line. I mean, we've been talking about the fourth line and the ability to run four lines because of the likes of Morgan Barron being on that line. So, you know, I, I think if, if, you know, if Nikolai Ehlers does draw into the lineup tonight, it's just a natural fit to go back to that fourth one. But I think is really interesting in these playoffs and I've gotten tons of emails from people who are, you know, are close with, 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 uh, you know, Rick bonus and just know his philosophies. Like, I think he'll be, if things go sideways today, I think he'll be incredibly quick to swap up lines. Like you might go back to what we saw in, in, in the first two games to generate offense. I think he'll be playing, he'll be playing chess tonight given his last change. And I think we'll really see Rick bonus flex his playoff muscles and playoff ability behind the bench tonight. I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting he's going to get crazy aggressive you know, if, if everything's rolling, if the Jets get up to a one, two, nothing lead, I don't, I'm, I'm not suggesting he's going to go and bring the blender out and change things. He'll certainly ride it. But I, I've just been told over and over again, he, you know, these, this is where Rick bonus shines. This is where he loves playing the, you know, playing the chess match with opposing teams and um, should be interesting to see how this game plays out, whether uh, Nikolai Ehlers is in or not. Saturday morning, you're watching the illegal curve hockey show. We're live on YouTube. We're live on all of our social media platforms. Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg free press is is our guest game three this afternoon between the Jets and the Golden Knights hammer will cover it for the free press. And of course you can read all about it on illegalcurve.com after the game. You know, Jeff, one of the biggest things uh, that, you know, was impressive in that game one was the Jets defensive play as, as a five man unit. The defense wasn't as significant in game two, especially in periods two and three Neil Pionk specifically. And Neil Pionk looked like the Neil Pionk of old kind of during that stretch where he looked like he, whatever was bothering him, and I believe it was you asked Rick Bonus. I think it was you, or it was either you or, or Reynolds. I get you guys confused, but there but but someone asked couple, Rick about it's a lot of handsome. I mean, it's it's yeah, one well, of the two handsomest men you know. in sports media. Yeah. Hair, hairdo one and hairdo two. <laughs> but the point is that you know it was just that Neil Pionk hasn't been at the level that he had played previously in for this Jets team. He looked like he was kind of to the Neil Pionk of old during that stretch. 
But then that game two, it looked like a little bit of the old Neil Pionk was cut or the new Pionk was back. So what was your impressions of his game overall and, and the need for the Jets defense to, of course, continue to play tight and not allow those, you know, big gaps as Josh Morrissey was talking about uh, to kind of infect their game? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Dave. I, I think it was a step back for Neil um, in game two. I think it was a step back for a few players in game two, you know, including Josh Morrissey. I don't think Josh Morrissey was nearly as effective, you know, as game one or as he's been this season. Uh, when they needed him to come up big in big moments. So he needs to be better. I thought Nate Schmidt struggled in that game. Um, Mark Shifley certainly struggled in that game uh, after ha having a great game one and, and really finding his game throughout the last whatever handful of games leading into the playoffs. Um, you know, it, it's in, Neil Pionk's an interesting guy. I mean, his his season's been, you know, I, you know, I think he's been a lightning rod for a lot of fans, and rightfully so. I don't think he, you know, I think when he came onto the scene, obviously – uh, he, you know, he was, he was winning best defenseman ultimately for the Jets for the first couple of years. Like, you know, he was, he was playing better than Josh Morrissey. And, um, you know, it's been a couple of seasons now, whether it's through injuries, a lot of speculation about him dealing with injuries, a lot of truth to that. I mean, last season he played with an injury pretty much all year. Um, this season, you wonder if it's the same, but he's doing things in other ways that I think are beneficial. He's playing a role on the, on the penalty kill. Um, that's a role he hasn't played a lot of in the past. He's usually leaned on a, on a, as a power play guy, which he's still on the second unit. He led the team in block shots. You know, he, he brings a, he brings a certain, he's well-respected. He, he's, he's a quiet leader in that locker room. He's well-respected by a lot of guys. I know that doesn't speak to his game two performance and it really doesn't matter how much people like him if he's not, if he's not getting things done on the ice. Um, but I do think there, I do think he, I think because of the expectations for him, because of where, he, you know, the minutes he logs, he logs big minutes on the blue line. Uh, he needs to be an impact player. And um, I, I think when, when, when Neil Pionk's an impact player, he's playing with emotion. I think that's, you know, I, I don't think Rick Bonus is singling out a Neil Pionk per se when he, when he, you know, talks about a lack of emotion and things like that. But I don't think he's also ignoring him either. I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, needs to get, he's a quiet pest, right? He's a man of few words, but he also knows how to ruffle feathers. He plays on the edge. Um, he does those things. And when you do that, sometimes you look like you're really good at what you do. And sometimes there's that risk factor in your game that makes you look like he did in game two. And it's not as great. So as far as response goes, you know, individually, certainly there are some players who I think individually need to respond back from, from their effort in game two, but that's the beauty of playoff hockey. Like you're not going to be dominant in every game, you know, momentum shifts are going to swing both sides and, uh, and, and, you know, whether it's Neil Pionk, whether it's Josh Morrissey, whether it's Mark Shifley, whether it's Nate Schmidt, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the response tonight. And that's the beauty of playoff. I guess the beauty of this, of professional sports is you put in a good game in game three and now, you know, we're doing interviews about how great you are. Not, uh, not, not what was missing last night. That's certainly the case, uh, Jeff, Mark Shifley, from my estimation is a guy who needs to be, to step up his game. You know, he was good in game one as the, all the jets were, but then, you know, diminishing returns in game two, from my perspective with, with the jets having last change now, at home ice for the next couple of games. How big, how much of a premium do you think that Rick Bonus is going to try and put on getting Mark Shifley some easier matchups, be able to get his offense going? Obviously, he's been held off the score sheet so far. I believe six shots on goal through the first two games, but you, mm -hmm. you can't help but think that the, the Jets need more from their leading goal scorer this season. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the that belief that your best players need to be your best players is just, all the more true when it comes to the most critical times of the year in the playoffs. And so, you know, and I think that was so, that was what, that's what was so, 
disparaging, if you will, about game two is it's not just that they lost, but they woke up some sleeping giants in Mark Stone who looked so clearly like he had taken, you know, like he had been off for three months in game one. And then he looked mm-hmm. like his typical, you know, vintage self where he's not just producing on the score sheet, but he's that emotional, you know, that emotional piece for the team too. Um, the Jets need that. And and Brick Bonus said it post game. He goes, they their best players were their best players tonight. We come back home for game three. That needs to be the situation for us. And there's no there's no person more important in that equation than Mark Shifley. And so, you know, I, he gets a lot of criticism, probably unfairly, fairly in some cases, sure. Um, but he's also, you know, he's also the guy that you expect the most from. And I think, you know, whether it's whether it's getting that last shift to have, you know, Lowry's line out, particularly if Nino Niederreiter is going to be on that line, it's going to even be a better checking line, I'd argue. Um, whether you're going to have them out against the top line, that's just going to naturally open up. Uh, you know, opportunities for your other forward lines to play deeper down the depth chart. The fact of the matter is, if you're on a line with Mark Shifley, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Kyle Connor, you better be dominating other teams' lines. And, <laughs> and you can make the argument, doesn't matter if it's the second or third line, they should be doing that against the first line. If these guys are what we're, you know, are, are, are what we're led to, you know, believe to be, you know, especially for guys who are coming coming up on on contracts and, and wanting to get paid double digits and everything like this is where you shine. This is where, and I thought that's why this, this playoffs was so fascinating was like, not only do I think a lot of these guys, whether it's Mark Shifley, Pierre Dubois, Connor Hellebuck guys, you know, Blake Wheeler guys who we know days seem to be numbered in this city. Like this is not only where you cement your legacy in this city. This is also where your this is also your biggest sales pitch to other teams is showing up in the playoffs and, you know, doing damage to suggest like, you know, that, well, you're up against the top team of another club, like, oh my goodness, you know, well, you're the top three players on this team, two of which want to get paid double digits in their next contract in millions per year. You better be taking over series. Like you shouldn't be looking at, you know, a, a stone Eichel Chandler Stevenson as like a a daunting task. You should, you should be up for the, the match. The good news is you're probably not going to have to do that because you got a checking line in Adam Lowry and company who have been playing great hockey. And so that all the more that's all the more reason for that line to be dominant against the team, you know, having to play against the team second and in some cases third third line, in some cases fourth line, depending on how Rick Bonus can work last change today. And Hammer, you mentioned Lowry there a, a couple times. And I need to go back to Lowry because after he scored the couple goals in, in game one, obviously added one in, in game two. I mean, a lot of Jets fans were talking about just give him the C right now. And I think you would agree that. You know, it, it's really between Lowry and Morrissey in terms of who's going to be the Nets, next Jets captain. But, I mean, we're not going to talk about that because I think that's pretty obvious. Um, Lowry for captain next year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, it's it's Morrissey. It seems or, like an off-season conversation that exactly. we can delve so, into yeah. over but and just over the way and he's over. playing, yeah. right? Three goals through the first two games. And obviously, like, the game against Minnesota drops the gloves with Reeves and handled Reeves pretty well, actually. Um, but, you know, scored a goal in that game, scored a goal against San Jose. He was excellent down the stretch. And for a guy who was criticized, you know, towards the end of the season for, you know, that goal-scoring drought, I think it was – what was it, Dave? I think it was like 30 games. games. Was 35. it that long? Yeah, it was yeah. 35. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and he just – like, I guess, like, this is your opportunity to hammer just to, you know, praise Lowry because, again, he's 30 years old. He's been in the league for a long time. He's been doing this for a long time. But it seems like if if the the rest of the Jets and and I'm not saying that you know the Jets have played poorly because I do think they've won four of the first six periods in the series. But it seems like if the Jets are able to follow his lead and match his emotional level and match his intensity, I mean they should be they should have no problem 
beating the Golden Knights because I, I think you could argue this is the best hockey we've ever seen Adam Lowry play. Uh, yeah, I think you can certainly make that argument. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. We've had these conversations a lot, obviously, as, as a lot of people have looked at Adam Lowry as being the catalyst, you know, along with obviously Connor Hellebuck for this team's resurgence late, late in the season, right? Coming up with big goals, obviously playing his critical role on the, on the penalty kill, you know, showing up, being that emotional lightning rod too, as much like, you know, Mark Stone is, is for, for Vegas, sticking up for his teammates. I think a lot of, you know, I think that was a massive game for Adam Lowry against Minnesota where, you know, he scores that opening goal. He chips in with a fight at the end, sends a message to his teammates that were in this together. You know, one that you'd think that wouldn't necessarily need to be hammered down, but I think it was imperative for this club that, you know, they got some of those good vibes heading into the playoffs. Um, yeah, Adam Lowry's been nothing short of, 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 of just exactly what Rick Bonus wants out of a hockey team, and 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 I'll and I'll say this for sure, you know, Adam Lowry is built for the playoffs. His style of hockey is built for the playoffs. His style of hockey is built for the structure that Rick Bonus wants to enact. He has the ability. One of the few, you know, I, I don't. I was gonna say one of the few guys in the Jets. I just think he's one of the few guys in the Jets who can bring that consistency to that game for as as close to an eighty-two game season as any NHL head coach would want, right? Because the reality is, is what Rick Bonus is asking the Winnipeg Jets, the way they're constructed as a team, very similar to what Paul Maurice was asking, was that heavy defensive first style game is not an easy and fun game to play all season. And it's and, and the fact of the matter is, is Adam Lowry would, you know, while he wasn't scoring and certainly deserved criticism throughout that time, I mean, you can't be a, a third line centerman and go that long um, without chipping in offensively, but for him to find his game and then to continue this in the playoffs, he just knows how to play this game. It's exactly the game he relishes in playing. I don't think a lot of guys like, and I'm not picking these guys out because you know that you know like a Kyle Connor. Kyle Connor is not a greasy go to the net, chip in, punch a guy. You know, like no. that's just not his style. He, he just of wants to show us those edges, right? And to demand and and rightfully so, and to demand that kind of style of hockey, 82 games. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to come at nearly a, a level of consistency as an Adam Lowry. And so Adam Lowry now gets into this playoffs, and he this is what he's used to. This is what he wants to do. This is what he craves, is that hard-hitting, tight-checking, battling game. And for him to be rewarded offensively in the way that he has has just been, you know, some added, you know, certainly some needed and critical, but added benefit to the Jets, to, uh, you know, to his game really this season. Because, you know, you'll hear Adam Lowry say, I mean, he's not saying he shouldn't be chipping in, but that's how you win in the playoffs is getting contributions in areas where you don't necessarily expect them. Like people expect Adam Lowry to kill off penalties. They expect him to check the other team's top line and, and keep them off the score sheet. They don't necessarily expect for him to be scoring goals. And so when you can get contributions like that as consistent, consistently as we've seen Adam Lowry, that's part of the game where you want some other players to do, you know, things where they, where they, where they necessarily aren't expected to do. You want Mark Shifley to throw a big hit every once in a while. He's not expected to go out there running guys. You want Mark Shifley to play strong defensively minded hockey. You want him to play a shutdown role in other ways. And I think, I think what the difference is between, you know, those two players, you know, the, is that a lot of the higher end skill on Winnipeg, when things aren't going right offensively, they don't know any other way to contribute. So often they're cheating the game. They're, they're finding different ways to get to a point where they know they're expected to do this. And that's what they bring to the table. Adam Lowry, even when he didn't, when he went 35 goals without scoring 
found other ways to be a, a contributing member of the lineup and it does and, and it can be done within bonuses defensively minded structure and so that's why you're that's why i think even when adam larry wasn't scoring he was still a valuable piece and even and you know on the flip side when guys like kyle connor aren't scoring when mark shifley isn't scoring when pierre pierre luc dubois is a little bit different because he brings a bit of nastiness and other physical elements so he he can do that when but when other higher end guys aren't scoring goals nikolai ehlers included they become a little less impactful on the ice because they you know they they, they don't necessarily have other 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 you know, tools in their tool bag to exercise um, outside of being critical scorers on this team. Well, Jeff, heading off the ice and heading down the street to the street parties that are going to be having, they're going to be hosting here in Winnipeg. You know, the whiteout is back and I know folks are excited, but when you look at what's happening in Edmonton and when you look at what's happening in Toronto and you look back to 2018 when they were at its kind of organic self and and there was not as uh, structured an event do you think that this is going to be as impactful as it has been? And I'm not asking for your analysis on a street party and the effect of a street party, but I'm just saying that you just, it just seems to me that they've, they've lost kind of the soul of what the street party was, you know, when it first kind of came about and it was so chaotic. And I look at some of the, the photos from our photographer, I'm sure the free press photographers, and you see how incredible they were to see blocks of Winnipeg, you know, just taken over by the fans and now to have it limited to, 5,000 down on Donald and 1,000 in the plaza. I don't know. To me, I don't know if it's going to have the same. Maybe it will. We'll see what the visuals look like. But I don't know if it's going to have the same impact as when it was kind of early on it's in its history. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I remember taking in some of the early parties. And I just, you know, I just, because I was covering, like, the party. Like, I, I was like trying to bring some kind of color and analyzing to, to the party. And I'll be honest with you. It had the perfect mix of like playoff, like anticipation, excitement, you know, anything can happen. And then it had a feel of like downtown Winnipeg, unpredictable and anything can happen. <laughs> so it was, like these two, it was like these two worlds were colliding. And Part, I party like, hats yeah, and Kevlar vests well, is basically what you're saying. Like on the yeah. cusp of anything, like anything could have happened. It could have been jubilation could have been civil war like i just felt like <laughs> it just felt really like whatever and I, and I mean i also think and i'm not defending the restrictions of parties i like the overflow i like that passion i like all those things um you know and i also think there's a tendency to you know there's announcement and then people go on twitter and then they get all the you know the shit perspective of everything right like it's just like this is horrible this is brutal like this is you know how, how can they do this how can they charge this how can they do that like i think what you what you what you digest like the the outcome of it I think is going to be different than the actual vibe when you're there. And I think there needs to be, I think there needs to be some kind of control. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the financial barriers per se. I think that, you know, I think it's easy to say, well, it's just $5 or $10 or in some cases $20, but that, that does neglect the cost, you know, of wanting to come out, be on a street and, and root on your team. Right. But I do think it's going to be, I do think it's going to be an exciting atmosphere. I mean, guys, like the players were the players who weren't here, for the for any of these whiteouts, like you know, Nate Schmidt, I guess, would have experienced it as a you know as a member of the Vegas Golden Knights, but you know, as a Winnipegger and 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 more other players who talked about last year's playoff playoff series or sorry, two years ago playoff series, my mistake <laughs> against uh, when no fans were allowed in the in the arena, they yeah. could hear the crowd outside, like you could hear the building shaking. There was a presence outside of Canada Life Center, so that was a year that they didn't even allow fans inside. They weren't orchestrating mass parties outside 
So I think we are going to see some major energy. I think we are going to see a, a really cool scene. And then you factor in the whole point that I think people need this, right? Mm-hmm. People have wanted this for a long time. You know, COVID has affected everybody's social life to a certain degree, um, to varying degrees. And I think this is kind of the opportunity to kind of let it rip, let it out. So for all those reasons, I, I only think that, I only think that it would um, – I think it's going to be a great environment. I think it's going to be something that's exciting. I think it's going to be – might be a little more tame than we're used to. But, again, I don't know, necessarily think that's a bad thing, uh, all things considered. But like you well, said, it's downtown Winnipeg, and when you throw in the alcohol and it's an afternoon game, I think – you know, and, and look, I mean, there's always going to be um, – you know, there's always the chance that there's going to be you know, stupid people. But going back to that 2018 run mm-hmm. um, from the – from what I can remember, Jeff, I mean, you might know better than I would. You probably do. I don't think there was anything that happened that was too bad aside from, you know, a few drunk people. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. You know, whether it's 5,000. And the, and the thing, the other thing, too, is, you know, there's going to be mini whiteout parties across the province, right? So, like, just because you're not downtown. I mean, the downtown energy is one thing, right, boys? Um, but, you know, the Jets know that there's people watching everywhere. Uh cool around the world really, but yeah, downtown, it's, it's definitely going to provide a boost. Um, the, the buzz and the energy, uh, it, it, it's really I- I- incomparable. Well, the Jets uh, and obviously in the building is a, a different thing. I mean, you, you, we've all been in that building for whiteouts um, and we know it's, the, it's the best. There's nothing better. I think, you know, the fans are, there's no better fans in the entire league and you know, it's going to be incredible. We just hope that nobody does anything stupid and that's why you have security and police down there, right? But, you know, talking from the Jets' perspective, sorry, uh, Ezzy, but from the Jets' perspective, they need to use this energy. And, they, I mean, you know, you, you you play your first two games on the road, and, we, you know, Vegas came out strong to start game one. The Jets need to come out and channel the energy in the building and the energy outside the building and take that to their advantage, you know, to start the game, obviously. You know, that's why the first, you know, five, seven minutes of the game are going to be so key for the Winnipeg Jets because, you know, eventually that adrenaline wears off and it becomes a hockey game again but you know the Jets need to take advantage of it and it's incumbent on Vegas to try and weather what will be pardon the pun uh, a, a white out storm uh, to start the contest and we know that you know the Jets you know you know, at least in the in the first games at home in the playoffs, have usually been pretty good at at, at using that home ice advantage or using that crowd to their to their benefit in terms of putting some goals past the opposition goalie. And I also think as you're as as being viewed as the underdog, I mean, you talk about you know the energy. Certainly, it's going to be important to start, but I think that energy is going to should sustain the Jets throughout, which should be a tight game, right? We've seen two lopsided score games. I think this is. This is where we kind of even out here because you have both teams feeling pretty good. Like the Jets aren't feeling great, obviously, after the game two loss, but I think it was important for them to, in their mental psyche to get one of those kind of wins, right? Even though, you know, you can make the argument that the team deals with success, doesn't always deal with success well and, and, and how that might have translated to game two. But I think there's a mental hurdle when you haven't beat a team once all regular season. And mind you, it was a few months ago. You know, like it wasn't like they had recently played them in the last couple months of the season, but there is that mental hurdle to beating the team and beating the team in their in their barn. And so I think that that bodes well. I think the the Jets now have been maybe you know maybe they were a bit over cocky after game one. Now they're humbled in game two. Is this now the perfect recipe for them to feel like they're in a series and that every game is going to count? 
I think that's if you're a Jets fan, that's the perspective you need to take here. Jeff Hamilton will, will have it covered for the Winnipeg Free Press. You can read all of his coverage and his colleagues' coverage uh, online and, of course, in the hard copy edition of the paper. It's going to be a great day, Jeff. Thanks very much for joining us to get a kickstarted. We'll see you Find Hammer on Cameo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, find me. Yeah, just uh, let me know what I can do for you guys. If it's birthday parties, if it's just wishing, you know, whatever special moment you want to take in, certainly I'm going to pitch my cameo, my cameo business, which is hilarious in itself. Thanks for having me on, guys. Always a pleasure. Shout out to the to the chat. They bring it every every game, every every show as well. Uh, and what should be an awesome game today, guys. Playoff hockey's back in Winnipeg. Let's see what happens. Enjoy it, Jeff. We'll talk to you soon. Buddy. Thanks, Hammer. Thanks for joining us. Take care, guys. There he goes, Jeff Hamilton joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. When we come back, much more on the Jets and the Golden Knights. And at the bottom of the hour for the perspective from Vegas, Jesse Granger from The Athletic is going to join us. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg with you. Our number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show is up next. We're live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. Why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fanalytics to help optimize no-look dipping. Ooh, making adjustments so you can stay focused on the game. The playoffs at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Big thanks to Jeff Hamilton for joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Jeff, obviously, 
always full of insight and analysis. Going to be a great game three this afternoon. Just announced by the Jets, though, uh, Rick Bonus not going to be speaking at 12.30. 1.30 is the new time that the Jets head coach will be speaking uh, to the assembled media. So uh, factor that into your plans if you had plans based on that. Uh, 1.30 for Rick Bonus addressing the media. Not My entire day revolved around that. I assumed it did, as yeah. you know, you're going to have to reschedule yeah. everything. Yeah, I'm going to have to later, have a later lunch now. Uh, it's all chaos. I know. I'm sorry to hear that that's happened to you. I hope that you are able to personally severe through that but maybe closer to at 1 30 that means you're getting very close to game time so you make the you know you won't probably only have to wait an hour or so after that to, find to actually out get the real answer yeah, to get the, to find out if Nikolai Ehlers is playing in today's game or not uh gentlemen I have to display the t-shirt that I'm wearing I mentioned it on Twitter I teased it on Twitter I'm going to stand up and show it to everybody as you can see that oh, t-shirt wow. says cocaine bear uh what does it say the real party animal Ultimate, Ultimate party, party animal. animal. What does it say above Cocaine Bear, Drew? Uh, Kentucky for Kentucky. That's the name of the uh, the clothing company that Drew, I. I'll be honest. Right now, most of the time, I, I would never, uh, you know, want uh, any clothing of yours because I think you're actually a pretty poor dresser. But I think when it comes to, uh, I'm obviously joking. <laughs> Drew's, Drew's a very good dresser, much better than my combination of wife beater with ketchup stain and sweatpants. Um, but I, I gotta say, um, I don't wear wife beaters, by the way. Um, I want that. I don't think you're allowed to say that anymore. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to call him that anymore either. Okay, so um, domestic violence. Domestic violence. You're looking for. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, yeah. That you're right. I'm not promoting domestic violence, of course. That's just what they're called. So, but you're right. I I should not be calling them that. Um, So obviously, this segment has just turned into me feeling really bad about myself. (laughs) <laughs> well, in many ways, there is my uh, my cocaine bear T-shirt that has been on uh, my my, my uh, in-laws are in town, so they were uh, they had picked us up these clothes these shirts. So uh, I'm now proudly sporting a cocaine bear T-shirt around town at all times because that is the ultimate in professionalism. But I had to show it off because I know the people on this show, based on our extended uh, cocaine bear discussions over the last number of months, would appreciate it. And if I can just jump in here really quickly, Drew, before you get into uh... Our next segment here, uh, our, our friend Jay Miller, who's a frequent IC viewer, was asking about a flyby by the armed forces. I, I don't think we know. I sent it to you guys in the private chat. I don't know if we if we have that answer, but if we're able to find it out, uh, you know, I guess we'll let everybody know on our social media channels. But I'm not sure because uh, Jay was asking before the break if there's going to be a flyby. It would be really cool if there was. Yeah, as long as it doesn't fly anywhere, you know. Yeah, we went to actually. We actually, Drew, actually I went. I, Drew. I don't think it's scheduled to fly by your house. I think it'll be flying over the arena. Drew's like, it's okay <laughs> as long as it's not too close to me. For the record, I actually tried to get on the flyby. Funny story because we, courtesy of our crack photographer Coley Spence, supplied photos to one of the pilots who did the flyby and asked if we could, if we would send him some of our photos, which we did. And I said, sure, no problem. And he said, you know, I said, we'll send them to you, no, no issues, but just get one of the illegal curve guys on. And I said, specifically, I see Drew. And then I want you to hit the eject button just as you're flying over Portage, Maine. Just fling his, him right into the air. But Do I get a parachute at least? No parachute. Ah, okay. Well, you had a good If ride. you land in the river, you land in the river. But if you don't. Dave, nothing. Will anything ever beat Fan Man coming to that boxing match? I, I don't know if that was a Mike Tyson fight, but like to me, the best. Oh, you're talking about when he landed when the guy exactly, landed. The best, yeah, yeah. Part, the best part was because he didn't even land in the ring. He landed like, if I'm not mistaken, it was Beside like the ring. He, he landed. Yeah, exactly. Like he landed in the crowd, but yeah, uh, he landed like, like along the apron, and then he got, and then he got pummeled. 
Yeah, and then everybody yeah. tumbled him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, was, that was, I don't think that that'll be ever topped. I don't even know how he really did that. Because I don't even know, was that even an outdoor venue? Yeah, it was an outdoor venue. Yeah, okay. He didn't he didn't jump through a chimney and, and to, to get inside. It was an outdoor venue because it was at Caesars Palace, the same uh, place where they hosted WrestleMania 9, if I'm not mistaken, right. which was an outdoor venue. And so, the yes, he was able to somehow... Uh, yeah, I don't know the, the the how the rest of the contraption worked, but he definitely got pummeled. That was the most important. Let me see if uh, I remember uh, WrestleMania Nine. Was that Bret Hart versus Yokozuna? That was correct. You're right about that. And a lot of people remember... don't know either that Yokozuna was not Japanese; he was Samoan. Thank you for that update. That's very. Well, I knew. He, I know you knew that, but he was part of the uh, I guess the bloodline, if you want to call it that, of Samoan wrestlers. Okay, well, we've completely yeah. gone off the rails, as you would expect. And uh, been canceled. <laughs> That's right. And as he's been canceled as well. So in that case, we say goodbye to Ezzy. And he's, hey, he had a good run on the show for a long goodbye, time. Goodbye, <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All righty, get back to the I hate you guys. Reforay into, uh, into nonsenseville, as per usual. Uh, you know, the Jets, obviously, you know, I mean, if Nikolai Ehlers comes back into the lineup, and of course that's a big if, uh, given you know that we still don't know and given the uncertainty, what's fair expectations of him? Given that he's been off the ice, he hasn't played since he took that hit from Ryan Hartman. Uh, that would have been, what, about 15 days ago or so? Five so goals. What, pardon me, Dave? Five goals in one Five game. Five goals, that's a fair expectation. Okay. It was on April 11th. That was the, the okay, last so game. Okay, so 11 yeah. days ago. You know, that, you know because what, what stood out to me about that second line on, on in game two is that there's no one really driving that line. Look, Nemesnikov is, is, is a nice player. He's not a line driver. Wheeler, we know at this point in time, is not a line driver. Niederreiter, a tremendous NHL player, you know, makes everybody better around him. But I don't know that he's an individual line driver himself. Ehlers is a line driver. We know that. He's seen it. We know his underlying numbers. We know the performance that he can put forth. But is it He's the best fair? Jets player at five on five. Right, exactly. Is it fair to expect with, you know, the 11 days off and I, I am, it's hard to believe he's ever going to, he's going to be at a hundred percent. Is it fair to expect that he can step in and be the line driver for yep. that line uh, so. entering, entering today's game? It's a good question though, Drew, because look no further than Mark Stone. And, and it's not apples and apples. It's maybe not the best comparison mm -hmm. because Mark Stone was out and he had, if I'm not mistaken, boys, he had surgery, right? Wasn't it back surgery? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that was three months as opposed to 11 days. So it's maybe, it's not apples and apples, but it could be, you know, apples and bananas, whatever you want to use, but he's been out for 11 days, but he has been skating, right? So I, I don't, put it this way, Drew, I don't know if you can expect Nikolai Ehlers to score a hat-trick, but I, I do think that if he comes back into the lineup, he will absolutely have an impact. And I know a lot of people are talking about, you know, you know how, how big of an impact can Ehlers have and, you know, is he built for, for the playoffs and everything like that? Like, look at, he's a smaller skilled player. Who, ha who has dropped the gloves with the likes of Jamie Benn, by the way? So when we say smaller player, I'm not saying that, you know, he's uh, meek or anything like that, right? Or, or meek mill. But, um, you know, what I'm talking about here is that Ehlers will make that line better. That, that line was not good enough uh, last game, game two. And, you know, Ehlers, Nemestikov, and Wheeler, when that line was put together after Mark Shifley was moved to the wing, of course, and then the, the Connor Dubois-Shifley line was formed, Dave, I mean, that line was really good, right? And and there was some question marks, like, could Nemesnikov perform as the second-line center, right? Because he's more of a, a winger who can play center. Um, so look at, I mean, there's no way that Ehlers makes the Jets worse, put it that way, Dave. 
Well, the, the, the you know, I'll, Dave, I'll let Dave, you jump. I know I'll let you jump in on that, Dave, as well. Though, <laughs> you know, with Ehlers back, what do you think happens with the lines if he returns to the lineup, and how does that sort of filter down to the to everybody else the, that the Jets have deployed so far? Well, I don't think there's any question, and, and you guys, we've talked about it throughout this broadcast already or in the last few weeks. He made that line work. That Ehlers, Nemestikov, and Wheeler line seemed to work. And and so for me, you put Niederreiter down on the third line. You move Bear into the fourth line. Probably means Gustafson comes back out of the lineup. And, I mean, that's when your Jets team was having success. So, you know, if the, the old expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, Nikolai Ehlers was broke, so they tried to fix it as best they could or put a temporary Band-Aid on it. Sounds like you're but, talking about the Tin Man right now from Wizard of the Oz, Dave. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes these hockey players hang are on, made of tin. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did you just call it Wizard of the Oz? No, I said Wizard of Oz. I, I heard Wizard you... of the Oz. I need to no, 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 back no. me up on this. Drew, one. that's the cocaine well, in your ears. No yeah, Drew, that's the yeah, that's the cocaine bear T-shirt uh, having an impact on you. But no, I said Wizard of Oz. Okay, Drew, you're not yeah, Wizard anymore. of the Oz. Thank you, Kenny's water bottle. He's he's saying you said Wizard of the Oz as well. I, I don't well, you know, save. Okay, well, you know what? It's almost as if we've got something called. Replay, replay where we can go back and so drew mark okay. the time let's not get completely off the okay, rails dorothy, here let, let let dave continue dorothy okay yeah seriously I, I mean come on um although i will say i went to see wicked no big deal in london pretty good pretty good little uh, only time i've ever gone to see uh, uh the play yeah theater dave m got fancy w- wicked by ice cube is a good song <laughs> and wicked, anywho wicked. um no, I mean, look, I, I don't think there's any question that, uh, oh, as he, and unfortunately, I smell great is also saying you said the Oz. Is so Spencey guess... watching right now? If Spencey's watching, he'll know what I'm talking about. Wicked Spencey is here. Cube. I don't know. Great, Spencey's... great ice cube. Spencey knows his, his 1990s rap. He'll back me up here. Um, no, but I mean, I don't think there's any questions, uh, jokes aside, that you go back to Ehlers, Nemestikov, and uh, Wheeler because that line did seem to work. And we know that. Uh, Nita Ryder and Lowry and Appleton really worked well together. So uh, Baron, you know, obviously you'd rather have him in a more significant role than on the fourth line. But you know what that means? It means that your fourth line, look. Drew's love, we, sorry, Dave. Drew's absolutely loving this, posting these little comments. Okay, <laughs> by accident, I said Wizard of the Oz, Drew. Okay, you win. There you go. There you go. I was I was trying to as I was trying to ignore it, but uh, okay. Now, Dave but, of the Manute, continue with your thoughts. Yes. Well, I mean, look, it's, it, the thought is is what I. I mean, I guess I'm not really saying anything. I keep rambling on in the same point, but I don't think you're going to change it because you had success with that lineup the way it was, and so I think that you know Nita Ryder has shown the versatility, and you're obviously not going back right now to Shifley back as center. So the reality for me is that you're going to just you're going to make as minimal a tweak as possible. And we know that the Jets were playing well when you had that configuration with, with as I've already discussed, Ehlers, Nemestikov, and Wheeler. And until they decide to go back to Mark Shifley at center, then I think the only minimal changes you're going to do is just have those guys filter down on the wing. There's a Harry Potter troll in the chat now who's saying, what about Wizards? So I don't know how that works at all, but things are happening that I'm really regretting at this point in time. So I don't even know what's happening on this show anymore. But, you know, as we are going to play a game of Quidditch before the whiteout party. So maybe that's why we have some. uh, (laughs) That's that's why I get shot out of the on the flyby. That's what I'm doing. I get shot out of the uh, the F-18 or whatever. On that note, someone did in the chat say that there was someone on CGOB from True North who had said that. That they were planning a, a flyby, so uh, we'll see right if that oh, okay. ends Harry up happening. Potter but is apparently, not a troll; it's a real person with with Harry Potter. Sorry, Harry Potter theories. Welcome to the chat, Drew. Are you, you like? Is they, this your first time being on the show? Dolls, though they're not a troll, but they have troll dolls at home. 
Okay, well, I'm just I, this. Well, I mean, the, rea- the, rea- the reality is, like, I mean, it's not really a hard jump. I mean, Harry Potter, Wizards. We were talking about Wizard of Oz. So, I mean, like, I don't, I don't really understand why you think that. That you think you think you mentioned the word wizard, and then all of a sudden people just flood our chat room that are just randomly well, here. Well, Come on, hold on. But bring it back to hockey. I mean, the Jets do have a wizard in net. His name is Connor Hellebuck. You like that? That was very good. That was well done, Ezzy. So let's talk about Connor Hellebuck. I mean, I don't think anybody would say that he's to blame for any many of the goals given up so far in this series. You mean when you, you mean when there were four Jets players behind the net and Mark yeah. Stone was allowed to walk straight down Main Street and burn him for the fifth goal? You don't think that was on Connor Hellebuck? I don't think that was on Connor Hellebuck. But from your estimation, do the Jets need more from Connor Hellebuck either today or uh, on Monday's game four. I mean, you know, he hasn't stolen a series, uh, a game in this series. He hasn't had to steal a game in the series because the Jets were so, uh, were, were, were in such control in game one. And then obviously they didn't play well in, in game two. So if you had to evaluate Connor Hellebuck's performance through the first two games, what would you say about it so far? Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But look, you could, this, this is apples and apples. You could say the same things you could say about the way Connor Hellebuck has played through the first two games. You could probably say about Lauren Brassois. What was Brassois' save percentage in game two? 930, Dave, or something like that? Like, Brassois was, let's be honest, pretty average, if not below average, in game one. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say Hellebuck was below average because, look, at the Golden Knights peppered Hellebuck in the second and third periods, right? Like, uh, what did they have, 35 shots or something like that? Um, but and they only had eight in the first period, right? So the second and third periods, Vegas ter- elevated their game. That's what we talked about. They went to their higher gear, and the Jets couldn't match it. So you know, Hellebuck, even though I, I would say the fifth goal st- scored by Mark Stone, even though the defensive coverage was terrible, I mean that that's a, a stop that you would like to make. It was from thirty feet out, but again, I'm not faulting Hellebuck because that goal. Let's be honest, that was pretty irrelevant. The Golden yeah. Knights had that game at that point. It was four two. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I mean, 5-2, you know what I meant. It was 4-2 before that goal was scored. The game right. was over, uh, most likely, right? So, yeah, I mean, you you hope that you're getting more of Hellebuck from the first game, but let's not forget what happened in the first period, right? And it was Chandler Stevenson for everybody. I mean, I think there's a lot of confusion who that one-timer was. It was Chandler Stevenson, not Jack Eichel, because that kind of they kind of look similar and play that similar kind of position on the power play. But then it was Jack Eichel who it went off of Hellebuck's mask. That's where the confusion was. Um, so I think the real question, guys, going into game three is who's going to draw blood for the Jets? It was Morgan Barron in game one, Connor Hellebuck in game two. Because the question is, who's going to be bleeding in game three for the Jets and who's going to need the Band-Aid? That's the real question. Well, you know, to that obviously point, I'm joking, Drew, but I know you're joking. I mean, obviously we've had we've had some it's been a bloody first couple of games for Hellebuck and Barron. Oh, well, certainly has been. I mean, there's no question about it. But I mean, the Jets, I think, you know. You know, I, I'm really curious to see how the Jets respond to what happened in game two. I mean, I, and I know we've talked about that on the post game show. And we talked about it today so far. You know, do the Jets team, because this is the first time in a number, you know, since they started the sort of the good stretch of hockey that they've been humbled that they've been outplayed badly. So I'm curious to see which Jets team comes back to start. You know, do they flush? I know you don't flush it, like you don't take any lessons from it. But, you know, do they, you know, are they able to sort of find the game that they'd been playing so well at, you know, through the first four out of six periods of this period, Dave, or Mm -hmm. periods of this series? Or are there, or does Vegas sort of, have they found their game and the Jets are going to be on their heels again? Because if the Jets are on their heels... Vegas is going to win this series. I mean, I think yeah. that's pretty that's pretty clear. So it's you know how do the Jets sort of regain that form and recapture the level that they've been playing at 
after the the disappointment of periods two and three on Thursday night. Okay, well, two things. First, I'll get into my answer in one second. I can confirm there will be a flyover. I just confirmed it. No okay. big deal. So I've got it confirmed. The Canadian Forces actually just contacted Dave, and uh, <laughs> he got that from uh, the, yeah. the Commander-in-Chief. But I did get a confirmation from someone who works for the organization. It's awesome, there, by the way. If nobody's will ever be a experienced that, I mean, I think a lot of people in the chat or watching or listening on the podcast have experienced that. But it's a it's a pretty awesome thing. Like, what better way to to pump up the fans, right, Dave? There you go. So just in case anybody's wondering, there will be a flyover. So get there uh, early and you can experience it yourself. And then, of course, get down into the lower bowl. And if you've got a ticket, because they're gonna, it's going to be an, a pumped-up crowd. And it'll be a lot of excitement. I'll um, be watching at home, Dave. So it's just going to be me actually throwing a paper plane at Ruben. That's what <laughs> that's what we're going to be doing. Yeah. Like All right. Well, there, there you go. Um, no, but I mean, I, I think the, the true test room, and we'll see it, is the energy level. I think that that's going to be what is going to be the big indication for me. And, and I, I don't think it'll be a situation similar to game two where the energy level was really good in the first and then it fell off a little bit in the second and third. I think that we'll be able to know fairly consistently whether this team is going to have it. Uh, and, and, and again, whether it doesn't matter who scores first, you just want to be able to see, will they have that jump in their step? Will they have that? And, and you're right. I think the crowd is going to provide a huge boost, both those inside and out. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of, uh, uh, media availabilities with the moose guys who are in town this week and you can hear the excitement. I've asked all of them and, and all these guys are talking about how they want to go down. They want to experience, they obviously want fans to show up next Friday for the game. One of the moose, uh, playoff uh, series against Milwaukee and have a whiteout there. But you can sense that these guys want to experience the whiteout. They want to be able to see what it's all about because, of course, there were no playoffs. Some of these guys weren't here last year. And so they want to be able to experience what this is going to be like when the city turns crazy. And so the reality is that, that I think there's a lot of excitement and I think that the players will be able to build on this crowd. You know, every crowd is great. I mean, if you watch the playoffs, the, the playoffs have been fantastic. The crowd, I mean, that Islanders, you know, you don't, I don't, like I said, you don't have to be a fan of the Islanders to be like pumped up by how excited that crowd was when they scored four goals in two minutes and 18 seconds. I mean, you could feel it through the television, how, how pumped up that fan base was. And I think that this fan base is just looking for an excuse to go crazy, to explode. Right. As he, so I think that if the jets can give them that with that, remember they were doing that in a hostile crowd and they were removing the Vegas fans really from the game. Vegas fans weren't into that game. If you think about it really until the second period. Can I just the also thing. mention from that Islanders how 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 poetic it is that Scott Mayfield scored the fourth goal? It wasn't the winning goal, but considering that he was high sticked before Jesper Foss scored, yeah, the, I, I just thought that was awesome. And in addition to the fact that you have like a fourth line grinder like Matt Martin, Matt Martin, yeah, scoring, he's, I, just, I just wanted to get that in because Dave well, was, was be talking about that earlier. But you love the fact like Anders Lee is a sniper. I mean, he's expect yeah. you expect you know Anders Lee and Brock Nelson and you know, uh, Bo Horvat, Matt Barzell, those types of guys. But when you get a goal from Matt Martin in the third period, yeah. I, I mean, you, you know, things are really going well, right, Dave? Yeah. Let me, let me ask you guys this. So, I mean, you know, in the, again, the last two periods of, of game two, we saw Vegas being able to take it to the Jets. How do the Jets now slow down Vegas? Because we talked about it earlier. The Vegas doesn't have what I would describe as a clear-cut number one line. They have sort of three second lines. Yep. And then their fourth line is also effective. So sure. how do the Jets, you know, how do they deploy their players in order to try and slow Vegas down? Or is it just a simple matter of the Jets themselves have to be more on their toes? And, and, and as a result, that'll just by default slow Vegas down. I mean, I don't think the Jets can get into a track meet against Vegas. But if Vegas is all of a sudden playing at a higher level, 
how do the Jets match, you know, that level that we saw in game one? I mean, it's, it, you know, it goes to the chess match, you know, uh, yeah. discussion of the series. Yeah. And, and both teams have speed. And we talked about it. If you're able to get Nick Ehlers back, even if Ehlers is 75%, right. I mean, let, let's be honest. If, you, if they have 1% of Ehlers, that would be as uh, way faster than I can skate. Right. So <laughs> if you have 75% of Nick Ehlers, he's adding a, a huge speed dimension to your game, Drew. But we talked about this and, you know, another shout out to our good buddy, Kenny Weeb who wrote about this, another plug for a sportsnet.ca article, also available on illegalcurve.com in today's Jets morning papers, which I was reading this morning before the show, but he talked about it. Like when you're pressuring the puck, and that's really the, you know, we've seen a hybrid Jets team this year because you haven't seen that all year. You saw that probably more in the first 30 to 40 games of the season um, when the Jets were had all of those injuries, right? Like when the Jets have an aggressive forecheck and they're pressuring and their gaps and all that cliche stuff that coaches love to talk about, then the Golden Knights can't generate offense. They have to dump the puck in. The Jets transition back up the ice, right? So to me, it's all about possession and not allowing the Golden Knights to generate speed in their own zone and through the neutral zone, right? So you're right, though, Drew. I mean, I don't, I don't think either of these teams has a huge advantage when it comes to speed. But when each team is executing their game plan properly, they make the other team look slow. So obviously, you know, you'd love to score off transition. But the key is don't let the Golden Knights set up in their own zone because we've seen... You know, they have a lot of skilled players when it comes to, you know, Chandler Stevenson, William Carlson, Jack Eichel, so on and, and so forth. They've got a lot of good forwards. And then also def their defensemen, like Alex Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, like Nick Haig is an underrated defenseman. They have guys that can jump up into the play. So, I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, the Jets have to get back to that pressure game as far as I'm concerned. Dave, you know, is there something specific that you want to see the Jets try and do to to mitigate Vegas in terms of line matchups or just, you know, sort of uh, trying, you know, if you had to take one Vegas forward out of the game, so to try and neutralize them and, and then have a cascading impact on how the rest of the team plays, who is that? Is it Mark Stone? Is it Jack Eichel? Who are you trying to sort of get in, you know, get in to prevent from executing? Well, I think I think those are definitely the two guys that you would for sure want off the board, especially with the way Mark Stone looked in game two, right? I mean, he didn't dominate it, but he was good enough that, and he's pumped up. And and what, like we said, he's been off. He hasn't played hockey in a long time. Suddenly you've got him going and he's going to build that momentum up. And so if you're the Jets, I think Mark Stone, because we've talked about how effective he is. I mean, there's a reason why so many teams wanted to trade for him when Ottawa put him, made him available and why, you know, Vegas and Winnipeg got into a, sort of bidding war or uh, a GM war, as like I said, every day it was like whenever I'm at a moose game, McCrimmon's there, Shovel Day Off's there, you know, Dorian's there. They're all, they're all swirling around, but there's a reason why everybody wanted Mark Stone. He's that effective. He's not a center. May as well be a center the way he plays on the wing. Mm -hmm. He's, he is to me the, the big, we talked about it. Remember when we were previewing this series and we said, if Mark Stone is he healthy and ready to go, he's going to be a big difference maker in this series. So to me, Mark Stone is that player. Let's bring in from theathletic.com. He covers the Vegas Golden Knights. Jesse Granger joins us on the program now. Jesse, good morning. Welcome to beautiful Winnipeg. How are things? Good morning, guys. It's great. Um, getting here is an adventure, but once I'm here, I love it. You know, it, it, it's the it, middle it, of nowhere, right, Jesse? We're just, right. we're there, we're, uh, 
eight hours north of Minneapolis, and then there's not a lot surrounding us. But glad to see you're back and made it safe into Winnipeg. It was really rude of the NHL because there are direct flights from Winnipeg to Vegas a couple times a week. It was just rude of the NHL to not align the games with those direct flights for the benefit of the uh, traveling parties. I mean, I think the you know somebody <laughs> should send a tersely worded email to the NHL all about that. That's the real problem that we're experiencing here this morning. Yeah, it's 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 very rare uh, living in Vegas to to have a hard time finding flights to places. Uh, there's that's one of the few cities that flies everywhere. But uh, yeah, got up here. I only had I only had one layover. wasn't too bad. Um, and I saw the weather. To be honest, I like seeing the the numbers on the screen. I expected it to be colder. It wasn't too bad yesterday. So well, I was I, enjoyed... I was texting you, Jesse, right? That we got a little bit of we got a, a little you know spring dump, but uh, most of the snow is melted and. Even though it's still below normal, I'm not a I'm not a meteorologist, so I'm not sure why, why I'm giving you a weather report right now, Jesse. But uh, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be you know be, much better than it was two or three days ago. So I think you came at uh, a better time. Nice. Jesse, we were talking about obviously game three and the first two games of the series. And I was asking Dave and Ezzy, you know, which, you know, if, if the Jets had to sort of pick one Vegas forward to try and neutralize, and then that neutralizing that player would have a cascading effect on the rest of the team. I'm going to pose the same question to you. If you had to shut, you know, who, who is that catalyst for Vegas's success among their forward group? I mean, Mark Stone gets tons of headlines given how important he is. Jack Eichel, we know, is one of the best centermen in. In the league from your perspective watching the the team game in and game out who is the 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 one forward that is sort of the catalyst for everything else that the golden knights do uh yeah i would say definitely mark stone i mean when when stones go in this team's different uh they're they're a very different team um, he he struggled in game one and a lot of fans in vegas kind of and I mean a lot, like a shocking number were saying, look, we were well, the one seed in the West without him. We put him in and suddenly the chemistry's messed up. We got to take him out of the lineup. And I, I wrote a column basically saying, absolutely not. Like not, this team can't win the Stanley Cup without Mark Stone being very good. Um, I really do believe that. I think when he's at his best or close to his best, I think Vegas is right up there with some of the other contenders in terms of talent. Um, without him, they're obviously good enough to get the one seed in the West, but you look at their underlying numbers and they just, they don't, and there's a reason Winnipeg was like a toss up to win this series going in. Um, and it's because the Golden Knights five on five numbers and their power play and their penalty kill have not been elite this season. They've been good enough to get wins, but uh, yeah, I would say, and like the other thing is when Mark Stone's going, Chandler Stevenson's going for whatever reason, those two just Chandler Stevenson plays his best hockey when Mark Stone's playing well on his side. And like you saw it in game two, Stevenson was excellent. Um, he scores the goal, the, the putback rebound, and then he sets up Mark Stone's goal. That I mean, I think all four of us would have scored that goal. The, the one Stone just had to tap in because of the great pass by Stevenson. So um, I think Stevenson's one of their biggest weapons. And I think when Stone is going, Stevenson goes, it's hard. If, if, if the Jets can slow Stone down and frustrate him and not let him get going, I think that also affects Chandler Stevenson. Um, Eichel obviously is a big one too. Um, but he hasn't – Eichel has yet to be the the guy that we all know he can be in these first two games. So it's going to be interesting um, the way the matchups change up here in Winnipeg. I'm I'm curious to see how Eichel does um, because they he's he definitely hasn't gotten going in these playoffs yet. 
I think, you know, to answer to, if I can address the Chandler Stevenson, Mark Stone thing, it's the Prairie connection, right? You've got Chandler from Saskatoon and then you've got Mark Stone from Winnipeg. So that's why they play so well together. Neighboring provinces, obviously I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but just have to give Saskatchewan a, a shout out there. But Jesse, how close do you think the, the Golden Knights were to possibly starting a different goaltender than Lauren Brassois? Because I know you wrote about this for The Athletic, but, you know, I, I didn't necessarily think that they would go to Jonathan Quick and I guess as as a part of that question, you know, is Logan Thompson in the in the picture here? I, I'm not sure. You would know better than anybody, but like, I guess what what did you think about that decision? It obviously turned out to be the right decision because what was Brassois' save percentage? Something like 9:30 in game two might have been higher than that. He was really good. Um, obviously, the run support helped. But I guess going back to my original question, how close uh, was Bruce Cassidy to to going with Jonathan Quick? And is Logan Thompson going to be an option, or is he still not in the picture right now for round one? Yeah, so uh, start off with, I don't think it was even remotely close to going to Jonathan Quick. Um, I don't think he considered it. Um, and and to, I mean, to, to kind of prove that, Jonathan Quick wasn't even the backup in game two. Aiden Hill was the backup. Um, so uh, when, when everyone's healthy, I think Jonathan Quick's the fourth best goalie on the Golden Knights. Um, I don't think he's in... I, I love Jonathan Quick. I grew up watching Jonathan Quick be awesome in LA. Mm-hmm. So I hate, like, saying this, but he's not a very good goalie. He's, anymore, he's right? an elder like, statesman now, he, right? Just like Drew. He, he had a bad, bad season in LA. And then he came to Vegas and everyone looks at like he won his first five games here, but he wasn't even good in those games. Um, if you watch the games and you look at the numbers, he is statistically the worst goalie on this team. So while his veteran presence, and I think it certainly helps a group of goalies that have never played in the playoffs. I think it certainly helps having him with them in practice every day, talking to him in the locker room. I think, Quick brings a lot to this team. I don't expect him to play in the playoffs. Um, I think Aiden Hill, you just saw, he was the backup in game two. He is just getting ready to play. Like he's been practicing with the team as a full participant for a couple of weeks now. He's now ready. I think if they were to go away from Laurent Brassois, say he struggles in these two games up here in Winnipeg, um, I think it would be Aiden Hill who would get this, the, the chance before Jonathan Quick would. Um, and in terms of Logan Thompson, I think he's a a bit further out. So he came back and practiced with the team at the same time Aiden Hill did. They were both hurt around the same time. Then they both came back. And then Thompson, after a couple days of practice, went back out and and hasn't skated with the team for quite some time now. So uh, clearly there was a little bit of a setback there. Maybe he wasn't as close as they thought he was. So he still has not skated with the team. And if you look at Aiden Hill's timeline, it took a couple weeks of practicing with the team before they were willing to put him as the backup. So I don't think Logan Thompson is, is particularly close to a return. I would say it would shock me if he was ready to play at any point in this series. Um, so it looks like it's going to be Brassois, uh, And then if he falters, maybe Aiden Hill. Jesse Granger is our guest Saturday morning. You're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Jesse covers the Golden Knights for theathletic.com. Game three between the Jets and the Knights goes this afternoon. The post-game show, uh, assuming everything doesn't have overtime, et cetera, around 6 o'clock tonight for the post-game show after the Jets and the Golden Knights. You know, Jesse, it's, it's, it's always easy to focus on the Mark Stones and the Jack Eichels as the, the big dogs. Who are the other players, the role models, the guys who, like here in Winnipeg, the Adam Lowry's, who are those guys who are, you know, stepping up for this Vegas team that you're seeing that they've been doing it all season and are continuing into the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if William Carlson falls into that category because he's, he's a pretty damn good player. But mm-hmm. I'll start by saying William Carlson's been the best goal tonight through two games. 
And he has been absolutely massive uh, just all over the ice. I mean, in, in game two, Cassidy matched he and Riley Smith up with that top Jets line that killed them in game one, and they neutralized him. I mean, they had some chances, but they, the Carlson and Smith outscored him 2 nothing. I think the shots were like 8-2 to two or something when they were on the ice against them. Now they don't have last change, so it's going to be interesting. I, I'm very interested to see if today that top line for the Jets can get back to doing what they were doing now that um, I assume bonus will probably try to get them away from Carlson and Smith. Um, but so, yeah, so, yeah, Carlson Smith, they've been great. Um, outside of them, Nick Waugh is a guy who's who's been very good for this team. He he holds on to possession so well, especially under the goal. He hasn't really got going in these first two games. Like, I, we haven't seen him at his best, but – um, I think the Golden Knights certainly need him to, to be better, especially if Ehlers comes back in the lineup. The Jets are going to get deeper. The, the Golden Knights' tops, uh, bottom six is going to need to play better. Um, and then and then Brett Howden stepped up and played a pretty good game uh, in game two also. They bumped him up with Stone and Stevenson, and he he made a couple of really nice passes um, on those goals that Stevenson and Stone ended up scoring. So um, the Golden Knights have, have been this way all year. They don't have a 30-goal scorer on the team, which is super rare for a playoff team. They don't have anyone with 70 points. Um, they have scored with a lot of guys, or, or they've won with a lot of guys scoring 10, 12 goals. Keegan Kolasar has been good obviously a Manitoba guy um, there, there have been a lot of guys pitching in and, and I expect that to, to have to continue if they're going to go far in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, Jesse, we were talking about that earlier on the program about how the jets of course now get last change and thought that maybe strength against strength, you know, top line against top line might be the way that Rick bonus wants to go. Tell Dubois go and you get the Jack Eichel matchup and then Shifley and Connor against Marcia. So and Barbashev. And of course it's not exactly against, but that sort of mindset to see strength against strength, because I think from the, Jets perspective that could maybe open up Connor and Shifley to have a little bit more room out there particularly Shifley because he has been neutralized so well especially in game two uh, by as you said by you know Smith and Carlson really had their number and were and were controlling uh you know the, the game uh you know particularly in the in the in the latter two periods of right. game two on on Thursday night yeah yeah and, and then the other thing is not just to look at the forward matchups but the, the defensive pairs and how they've played against the Jets. Um, Bruce Cassidy has leaned super heavily on Alec Martinez and Alex Petrangelo, mm -hmm. that top pairing. Um, Shea Theodore, obviously a very good defenseman, but he isn't as good defensively. Isn't as good defensively as Petrangelo and Martinez are. So he's kind of hit him a little bit. Cassidy has not leaned on Theodore as much as he has Petrangelo and Martinez. So um, I'm interested to see if the Jets can get their top guys out against Theodore and Martin. I'm sorry, Theodore and McNabb. And also McNabb looks a little banged up. I mean, he landed that big hit along the wall, went to the to the bench gingerly, and did not look himself after that. So you've got a guy in Theodore who is spectacular, but but isn't fully healthy himself and isn't the best defensively. And McNabb, who looks a little compromised. Um, if the Jets can get their top guys away from Petrangelo and Martinez, I think it would help them too. You know, I'm not going to ask you a question about him, but it's just an opportunity for me to shout out the Sioux Valley uh, Dakota Nation, uh, Zach Whitecloud. I thought Whitecloud was phenomenal in, in round two. And if you ask these guys, I mean, I, I I just love the way he plays. I love that style of defense, but like physical, you know, can chip in about uh, offensively. So I just wanted to mention that, Jesse. I'm I'm sure you would agree with uh, White Cloud's game in, in game two, not saying that he wasn't good in, in game one, but to me, he was really noticeable, uh, just breaking up plays and everything like that. And 
I wanted to ask you about Mr. Hot Dog himself, who's going to play number nine playoff game 99 tonight, which I think would be the most in the series. If I'm not mistaken, it would be right up there. Uh, Phil Kessel, and he's got a couple assists in the first couple of games. And, you know, everybody always wants to point to the 35-year-old and say that he looks slow out there. To me, you know, it's just those subtle little plays, the smart plays that he makes, the little passes in tight and just the decisions with the puck. Like, I guess, what have you seen from, from Phil Kessel? Because he's not playing an insignificant role. It's not like Kessel's buried on the fourth line. He's playing with Wild Bill and he's playing with Riley Smith. Um, and and he, I thought he's been good so far in this series. He has. Um, game one, not so good, but there weren't many Golden Knights that were good in game one. So we'll give, we'll give him a pass there. Um, game two, I thought he was very good. Cassidy brought him up after the game um, unprompted. And, and Cassidy has had his his battles with Kessel this year, trying to get him to be stronger along the walls, trying to get him to reload and back check and, and do all the things other than when the puck's on your stick that, that Kessel has been known to not be great at at times. Um, he brought it up in the postgame. Like Phil has been so determined and so committed to reloading back checking he's been flying around um you mentioned 35 but like when he wants to his wheels are still pretty good like he his, he's got the legs to do it when he wants to um so yeah i think kessel's been very good i think he it's easy to play with smith and carlson those two their chemistry i mean they've been playing together for six years their chemistry is so good that it seems like whoever the golden knights plug in there um it's been michael amadio at times it was the rookie pavel dorofeyev at times um who's who's sitting uh, in the press box right now, but ready to go if if they need him. Um, and now Phil Kessel has jumped up there and has played really well. He just, like you said, it's the little plays. He holds on to pucks in corners. He opens up ice by skating through the the center lane drive on the when when they're coming in on the rush. Um, he's just a really smart player, and I think he thrives in this this time of the year. Uh, he, he's a guy who knows how to play these games, and I, I think he definitely the gold. Like you mentioned, he's not playing a small role. The Golden Knights are really relying on him. Jesse, we only ask the hard-hitting questions here on a legal curve. So I've got to ask you. <laughs> I got to ask you the tough one. I was listening to it. I was reading your article, and I was like, "Well, I don't really knew. I didn't know if I knew the song." But of course, then I started listening to it. I was bopping a little bit while you were uh, answering Ezzy's question. But we are never going home, Kungs, the uh, Golden Knights. And you know what? It's funny. It, it, we make fun. It's a joke, but like it is one of those things that that rallies players and they get excited about. It. I remember years ago the Jets were playing Celine Dion's. Uh, song and it was like this funny moment, but it does kind Don't of. Don't worry, Jesse. We're not going to play Celine Dion. I know you. I know you think because we're Canadian, we have to always play Celine. Well, Dion, she does have. A, she does have. She does have a residency in in Vegas, I think, or yeah. did for so many years. So, yep. so there is a tie there. But, anyways, no. But I, you wrote a really interesting article because I think it is fun, and I know the Jets teased out. I don't know if they actually revealed what the Jets winning song is, but it, it is funny how the Vegas and it makes you realize how good to tie into this game. How good a road team. This, this Vegas Golden Knights team has been the entirety of this year. Yeah, yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know, their 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 road or sorry, their win song is uh, "We Are Never Going Home" by the Kungs, and it started early in the year. They had like a long ten game or ten day five game trip, and and then they had another long one back to back after that. And they're like, man, we're like constantly on the road. It feels like we haven't been home in a month. And they started playing this song in the locker room, and it's it's if you haven't heard it, it's the like it'll get stuck in your head for the rest of time. If, if you do listen to it, um, it's a really catchy song. I like it, but yeah, uh, they've, they've kind of taken on this person. Like they, they struggled at T-Mobile arena this year. They, they played a little better down the stretch, but for the first half of the season, they were just flat out bad at home. And they really relied on how good they were playing on the road in to stay atop the Pacific division and to stay in first place in the Western conference. Um, this team has been, 
very good on the road. The only team with a better record than them on the road is Boston and Boston has a better record than everyone everywhere. Cause that team <laughs> didn't lose. Um, so yeah, I think, I think they're excited coming up here. This is obviously a really challenging environment to play in. I haven't been up here since the conference final. I'm excited to see what that building's like tonight. Um, I know it's going to be insanely loud, but the golden Knights have been so good on the road. They are looking forward to it. They are, they are ready for this challenge. This team has proven that they can win on the road. They they're ready for it. And, and the, uh, the, the win song kind of just goes along with that. What do you attribute that success on the road to Jesse? I mean, you know, it, 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 you know, the jets were, were sort of the reverse of that. The jets were a great home team this year and were decidedly average on the road, which is sort of what you expect. So, you know, what do you attribute the, the success on the road and the struggles at home to uh, from the, for the Vegas golden Knights this season? I think the struggles at home are hard to explain. Um, I I honestly don't know what happened there. Um, T-Mobile is obviously a very good building to play in. It's packed every night. Um, I don't know, but on the road, I think it's their depth is a big part of that, right? Like I mentioned earlier, they don't have the star players. They don't have a star line. They like, even right now you look at it, it's hard to pick which of the top three lines is their best line right now. Like Carl said, Jesse, it's almost like you have three second lines, right? Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it's, they, they, Carlson Smith has probably been the best line so far, but then Stone and Stevenson were great in game two and, and Eichel and Marshall. So can explode at any moment. I think the fact that the matchups don't really matter to them. Um, has helped them on the road, not just the forwards, but the defense. You mentioned White Cloud. He and Haig are probably the best bottom pair in in the NHL or one of the best bottom pairs in the NHL. Um, And they can be trusted against basically any forward line. Cassidy does not care. He'll throw them out there against anyone. So I think when you're on the road, you you don't worry about the matchups. You kind of just roll your four lines and you roll your, your three pairs and it just feels like there's a better rhythm. Cassidy has even mentioned like, Maybe I should do that at home more often, not worry about the matchups because it feels like we play our best hockey when we're not thinking too much. We're just kind of rolling everybody out there. We get going. One line builds on the next line, builds on the next line. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see if they can do that today. It's like I said, it's going to be tough. I, I expect the Jets to be really good today in, in this environment. But uh, yeah, this team, this team has done good when they they've done well when they play simple hockey. Uh, they don't try to be too fancy through the neutral zone. They don't try to get their matchups exactly right. They just kind of go out there and play. Last question for you, Jesse. We know the struggles of the Golden Knights' power play. They almost broke through in, in game two, except if it wasn't for Connor Hellebuck making that a, a, you know tremendous glove save uh, in the first period when there was that stretch of, of man advantages. You know, From your perspective, having watched the Golden Knights all season long, do you see any signs of improvement on that power play through the first two games, or is this basically the same struggles that you've been watching? I think you already the, got your answer there, Drew. Yeah, I saw the head shaking there already. And it's, yeah, uh, and it's not just for the season long. This team's power play has been very, very bad for a long time. I mean, we're talking – it's a big reason Pete DeBoer is no longer the coach here. Um, and even before him, under Gerard Gallet, it struggled. And it doesn't make any sense. You look at the players on the ice and you say – how is this power play not good? You've got Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, William Carlson, Riley Smith. Like this power play should, how do you not figure this out over three years? And they haven't. Um, it's, they, they need to shoot more. These guys, I think, try to look for the perfect pass too often rather than just firing the puck at the net and trying to get a rebound. I think when they're, when their power play is at its best, they are just kind of looking for second opportunities rather than looking for that perfect first shot. Um, but, I mean, when they brought Cassidy in, the way he talks about the power play, he is brilliant. I mean, the guy is a power play wizard, and he still has not been able to figure out how to get this power play going. 
plus add on to that, the Jets are very good on the penalty kill, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're like they're, they're excellent at killing penalties. So this is not the team to get right um, on the power play against. So if they were to turn this power play around and score a bunch of power play goals in the next few games, I would be surprised. Um, and I and I think they would be surprised too because they while while they have the players, they just haven't been able to figure out that part of the game. Um, they it, what's stri- what's a little strange is in this series they've struggled entering the zone which mm-hmm. has not been a problem for them. Like you look at their power play and it's, it's put up great numbers. They usually get into the zone, no problem. It's just once they have things set up, they don't get the chances that they need to. Um, and this, in the first two games, Winnipeg has done a good job of denying the blue line to them and, and they've really struggled to get into the zone. So maybe if they find a way to get into the zone, maybe they can find some holes. I, I'm, I'm not super uh, optimistic that that will happen, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it, that's been this team's biggest struggle for a very long time. And um, it's the reason they lost to Montreal in the semifinal the two years ago in the in the in the conference final. They couldn't score against Montreal on the power play, and, and that ended up being their downfall. So uh, we'll see if they can get it going. At times, it's looked okay. In this series, it hasn't, and and it's been a while since that power play has has clicked. Jesse, Jesse they, they, Chandler Stevenson just has to shoot that one timer five percent harder, and then Connor Hellebuck's glove will be slightly over the line, and then that will it'll what a save that was. Oh, it was it was incredible. Followed up by the the shot to the helmet, but yeah. Uh, before we let you go, I was right just going to say, um, don't be worried about the mob downtown. Just wear white; you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Granger covers the Vegas Golden Knights for the Athletic.com. Jesse, enjoy the calm before the storm. It'll be a hell of a scene in downtown Winnipeg. We look forward to reading all about the Vegas perspective after the game on the Athletic. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy today. We'll see you at the rink in a few hours. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. There he goes, Jesse Granger, joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Hold on, Uno Momento. Okay. <laughs> or put a temporary Band-Aid on it. Sounds like you're but, talking about the Tin Man right now from Wizard of the Oz, Dave. Well, I mean, sometimes hockey players are Wizard of the Oz, as he unfortunately. You. I already, I already owned it. We already agreed that I did I know, say but Wizard of the Oz. I, I didn't I'm request. Not, I'm, not, I'm not disputing it. Okay, oh, I guys, understand. I said Wizard of the Oz. Thank you. No, no, no. I'm on board because I actually confirmed that you didn't say it, but I did have a request from the chat to say I have to play it for you. So just let the to... Wicked Witch of the West take us into break. That would be yours truly. You're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Big thanks to Jesse Granger for joining us. You can read Jesse's work in The Athletic. Big thanks to Jeff Hamilton for joining us. You can read the Hammer's work in the Winnipeg Street Press. It's only guys whose names start with a J on the show today, Drew. Except for us. Jesse and Jeff, but unfortunately I'm not Drew. Well, Drew, I guess, could be technically with a J if I wanted to change the spelling. I'm not sure that uh, Dave or Ezra could ever be. I don't know if Sheldon and Tannis would like that, but yeah, you could do that. I guess it could. I mean, maybe that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. To be honest, it would probably take them a while to notice if I, if I all of a sudden started uh, changing how I spell my name to all of a sudden uh, J R E W, but uh, I don't think I'm going to do that. Are you writing your parents a lot of notes, Drew? Like what's going on? Like I'm telling you, they've been a long time to notice, you know, how often do I ever write my name down? Maybe you'd write them a card. I would, you know, it is, uh, you know, maybe a Mother's Day card. I would probably write a Mother's Day card on napkins. Naomi loves to like write lists on napkins, but I don't like it because it's always like, because you uh, usually wipe your face, your mouth with it. Exactly. I need it when I'm having my ribs. So I, I like to just write on pieces of foolscap. Yeah, well, again, I, I do have my high quality mead notebook, uh, as we talked about on the uh, post game show. I don't show think they're a sponsor, the- by the way, Drew. 
why well, I'm not sure. I mean, somebody get in touch with the, the local mead representatives and we'll see if we can get, we can get a wash in notebooks. And I was talking to the, to the, I've, I've been recently mead. talking, I've been talking to the CCM reps. So I could see if we could uh, get, I was trying to get him to do an illegal curve stick. Are you talking about my boy, boy, Lauren Ralph? No, he's the, he's the CCM rep. No, not the one who the, not the one who does for the for the Jets and the Mooses. Oh, okay, well that's that's who we deal with with hockey Manitoba. But uh, that's good to know. Thank you for that random tangent. This has been a show filled with random tangents, lots of Jets coverage, and then the most random tangents that we've had in a, in a long, long while. But well, Drew, when you exciting. when you you have a cocaine a fresh cocaine bear shirt on, you know that uh, the show is going to be a little bit off the rails. Up into my as as, as, as as Phyllis said, this show is consistency and then inconsistency it's uh that's the beauty the rails drew's doing rails i mean it's all it's all wonderful things right now that's hilarious i'd like to point out for the record that i've never done cocaine and i never plan to do cocaine i'm just sporting the you've never snorted right drew i am i cocaine hell of a drug yeah it's uh, i'll take your word for it i'm uh i'm drug free oh yeah my word drew's high on life that's right i'm high on life drew as you as you know and as i can attest the uh, illegal curve has a very strict drug policy. We do uh, drug testing on a on a monthly basis to ensure that our uh, our analysts and hosts are in tip top form. By the exactly. way, Dave, I didn't want to use my contigo, so I hope you're okay if I peed in your coffee mug down here because I had nothing else to pee in. Well, as you know, as I don't drink coffee, so that's fine. I'm not okay with hearing that. Not at all. I got to tell you, that's really disturbing. Uh, the uh, post-game show will be later on this afternoon, maybe this evening, right around six o'clock, give or take. <laughs> it better uh, be no OT tonight, folks. I know. As we've said, the, it, it might be a bit of a shorter edition of the post-game show, depending on how everything Dad's happens. bringing Chinese food over. Because we have some, uh, we have a bit of a time crunch that we're that we're under uh, with this evening. Dave M will be murdered. Dave M will be murdered if this if it's not a tight window. Because right. I got my friends' uh, kids bat mitzvah. Way to go, Sadie Sector. There you go. Exactly right. So it might be. It'll be a a a, a very time appropriate post game show. I think Naomi taught Sadie Sector, by the way. That would Probably. make sense. She they, she definitely goes to the school that you're shout out Brock Gordon School exactly where your wife used to go as well. Uh, used and to then a couple well. there's going to be a couple Ginsburg joining uh, a couple Mendels there pretty soon, Drew. Um, I, I forgot to tell you, as I'm immediately withdrawing my children from the school <laughs> as soon as your kids uh, go there. That's just the way it has to be. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry to tell you that. As I got bad news, I, 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 they, they, can, they can come over for craft dinner or whatever. Tuna. As I got bad news for you, if you don't if you don't think your kids just flew to Arizona today, you're 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 <laughs> sadly mistaken. Your kids are completely gone let me ask you guys this wonder if they're cold being tied up in that tree tied up to that tree for so long uh before we wrap up one difference maker for the winnipeg jets tonight who's that who does that have to be this afternoon i mean one one. 55 then it's 55 yeah okay well dave you say dubois i'll say shifley then i mean no but honestly though drew kyle connor um you know he 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 hasn't you know exactly lit it up um, but he's created a lot of offense. We talked about it, eight shots last game, and obviously he scored a goal in, in game one, right? So we know Kyle Connor is already playing at, at the highest level. Not to say that Shifley and Dubois aren't, because Dubois was really good in, in the first game, but obviously Shifley doesn't have any points, so it's it's got to be 55, and I think Dave agrees Dubois is right behind Shifley. Yeah, there's there's no question. Not, not literally, are... by the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes. I mean, in the picture on the legal curve that I used yesterday, there was one was behind the other, but I, I do think that you're you're – you're going to live and die with Connor Hellebuck always, and but he's going to—he is consistent in what he provides you. And I think that those other two guys, you know, Jeff said it best: if you want to be a ten million dollar man, if you want to be a guy that is generating buzz in the NHL, you don't do it by not showing up in the playoffs. You do it by taking over a series. 
So that's incumbent on on Mark Shifley and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois as the guys who want to be regarded as the top players on this Jets team to be the top players on this Jets team. Take the series over. If you don't, well, then we know what's going to happen with this Jets team because they need those guys. And obviously Nikolai Ehlers could play a big factor, but you don't know at what level you're getting with Nikolai Ehlers. And that, that also will be um, significant. So stay tuned to that. We'll have that update on a little site called illegalcurve.com. My first plug of the day, but uh, we'll have that as soon as Rick bonus speaks, we'll have it up on the website in the pregame report. So be sure to check back for that. There you go. Check out illegalcurve.com from now until game time, the post game show after the game. And then of course the website again for all additional post game coverage. Happy and wedding anniversary. We haven't even mentioned that yet, Drew, or sorry, Thank I should you. say happy the wedding anniversary, <laughs> uh, Drew, Drew and Laura. Thank you um, very much. Yeah. We, I think we mentioned it on uh, Thursday night's post game show, but yes, I hope you guys have a lovely, lovely dinner tonight. Thank you very much. I much uh, I appreciate the the good wishes and the good tidings. And yes, uh, it is now eleven years that my wife has managed to put up with me. So she is certainly ready for sainthood uh, for having to deal with that on a regular basis. Uh, as I mentioned, post game show later tonight. Website updated: illegalcurve.com. Social media at illegalcurve for all your latest Jets news, audio, ice news, audio, moose news, audio. Uh, everything along those lines. Dave showing off the illegal curve shirt. Ezzy showing off Hartsey. the shirt from our buddy's uh, bachelor party. It's my main so, man, Hartsey. No, it's 40th birthday. 40th birthday. Which didn't right. happen because somebody had COVID or somebody was sick. That's right. But so, we got the t-shirts made. So there you go. Hartsey's exactly. my boy and uh, shout out to Hartsey. There he you lived go. with me. He owned a house with me for five years. So speaking of someone who deserves some type of medal or, <laughs> or recognition, anybody who can, who can put up with uh, me for that long and stay friends with me for that long deserves recognition. There is no question about that. A big thank you to all the sponsors of Illegal Curve who make the Saturday show, the post-game show, and the website a possibility. Our friends at Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Zapia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, Grid Park, and The Keg support these fine businesses because of their continued support of Illegal Curve hockey we'll be back later tonight for the post game show around six o'clock or thereabouts in the meantime as i said illegalcurve.com and our social media feeds are where you need to be for all your latest jets news and coverage for dave manuk for ezra ginsburg i'm your host drew mandel thanks everyone for joining us this morning we'll see you again in a few hours time enjoy game three this has been the illegal curve hockey show thanks for listening to this broadcast from illegal curve hockey for more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.